This show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 217 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. On today's show, our special guest is Rob Walling, who needs no introduction. Hey, Rob, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you back. It's been, what, like about uh, six months since the, uh, the last drive-by? I think it was sometime in uh, January, February. So it was about 10 months, because that was right around the time I relaunched Hittail. Right. Through all of that, that debacle. <laughs> So this is my fifth time on the show, if anyone's keeping track. I just want to make sure that I ha- I'm uh, number one on that leaderboard. You know? I think you are. I think, yeah. uh, I think who's, who, is anyone even close? G- Gabriel Weinberg has had two or three. Uh, but what's he done? He just launched a search engine to, to tackle Google and raised millions of dollars. Yeah, that barely nothing. counts. That really registers. Yeah, exactly. Like five times that's all when i see him i'm gonna say five times man right five times yeah there's there's certain things that you can optimize for you can optimize for revenue you can optimize for profit you can optimize for tech zing appearances it, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what i've done obviously i'm kidding gabriel I- <laughs> well i think we're gonna get him on uh, pretty soon i actually we've been we've been corresponding and i think maybe we'll get him on in a, in a couple weeks so yeah, get an update on DuckDuckGo. i've invited him to speak at microconf last two years and uh, he's just he's too busy to do the flight out and prepare the talk and everything. But it'd be good to hear from him to get an update on the on the podcast. Yeah, well, dude, he didn't even I can't even fly out to the West Coast to to raise money from VCs. He did it through Skype. <laughs> I right. Mean, to get it. Yeah. Right. That's, <laughs> I mean, that's how he rolls, right? <laughs> so I, I, we got a lot to talk about. I I think um, you know we I I think the first thing we should probably start off with is uh, Hit Tail. I, I want to get a I want to get a recap of that, or, or I want to get an update. But I think what we probably we should do is, is maybe have like a ten minute like you know recap of the original story, kind of like you know how like people you lost the, the TV series, but you'd come into it, you, they would do like if you had, you know everyone's like yeah you know, like a catch up show, or at least the first ten minutes was a catch up. Yep, totally. I mean, people who are interested can go back, and they should go back and listen to the, our interview, the previous one we did with you about Hit because that was I think probably our most positively reviewed show of all time but uh so that people don't have to stop right now and go listen to it why don't we just get like a, a, a so you want you want rob to give a full rundown yeah well let's just kind of give like a little synopsis he could you know however he, however, he could just tell the story in, in in sort of a five minute version or something and then we can maybe i don't know whatever ask him any questions about it but then but then i want to get into his new project after that which is uh called drip sure so yeah with hit tail um that was it was about 18 months ago, I think, that I first contacted the owner of this app called Hittail. And it had been around since 2006. It was started by a PR firm. And it's basically an SEO keyword tool that you install just a little snippet of tracking code on your website. And it looks at all your incoming traffic from search engines. And it says, hey, you're ranking well for these terms already. But there are these other terms here that you have a high, high probability of ranking for. And you're, you're not doing anything. You're snoozing. So take these keywords, this short list of keywords, not all your keywords, but the short list, and go try to rank for them, right? So it's just a, it's a keyword tool, and it, it helps you filter out all the noise. In Google Analytics, you might see 500 keywords you rank for. Hittail will give you a list of, like, the top 20 you should, you should create content around. Wait, 
real quick, real quick before I want to interrupt you. How does it determine that? How does it guess? Is it kind of like uh, Amazon people who bought this book also bought this other book kind of kind of algorithm? There is an algorithm. It's not. Um, let's see. It's not that complicated, but it pivots. There's like eight different factors that it pivots on. Mm-hmm. And it's things, um, I don't want to go too far into it, obviously. There's someone, oh, there's just, there's someone building like a hit tail, uh, I'll say a competitor, but it's very, very similar. So I do uh, what I say, yeah. That's a clone then. It's pretty, yeah, that's, <laughs> I didn't want to right. use such a negative word, but yeah, you're right. Um, anyway. Clone, the clone wars. Well, that's what happens when you do something successful. Yeah, and talk about it. Yeah, right? yeah. That's the thing. Uh, um, so, so good thing yeah. you're not, good thing is you're not making any money with this, so they should just come. Yeah, exactly. Thank There's you. No point. There's no point. No All point. Right. So <laughs> Jason says because we had lunch a couple weeks ago, and he was like, "What? Why? <laughs> Why uh, did I get to invest in this thing?" But we'll get into that later. Yeah, we need to talk about that whole investing piece. Yeah. So let's. Yeah. let's why can't we invest in you? Why is there no like? Why isn't Rob Walling on the stock market? All right. Yeah. Let's. Let, okay. Let's. Let's give. Let's keep going. Uh, let's uh, tell the tell the hit tail story. Well, I won't interrupt anymore. So I'd been using Hittail since somewhere around 2006. It was a freemium product. And then they started charging in 2008, but they grandfathered people in. So I was just kind of a longtime customer. I've recommended Hittail in, in the academy. I think I recommended it in my book. I mean, it's just kind of a tool I'd been using. But I noticed uh, sometime in 2010, it started having out- server outages. And it's a pretty high intensity app because it's not just some, you know, a SaaS app with basic database inputs and outputs. It's got a lot of a lot of database writes because it has all this real-time activity going on. It's kind of like analytics, right? Where if, if, you know, however many websites get hit during a single second of every day, it's, it's inserting into the database. So at times that's 50 writes per second. Um, wow. And it's, it's running on classic ASP. You know, it's not, not the most performance. <laughs> it's not like it's an OJS or something. It's running right. on VB script. Yeah. <laughs> no, it really is. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, and it still is. Yeah. <laughs> Which, that's, yeah. That's a blog. That's a killer blog post. Fifty updates, fifty inserts per second using VB script. Yep. No, it's. <laughs> yeah, that's at peak time right now. Yeah. So wow. middle of the night, it's five to ten probably. But it's really impressive that, to be honest, the developer who built it wasn't really a developer and kind of learned during you know while he was building the app and uh, or as far as I know, he wasn't a developer. Some of the architecture stuff is pretty sketchy. But right. the fact that it, have, that it ran all those years without updates is, in my opinion, is pretty darn impressive. You know, they, yeah. they really um, started letting it go in about 2008. Um, the developers left and, and it was just a, one woman was maintaining it. And so <laughs> when I started seeing outages, I realized in 2011, uh, about June, that I uh, wanted to- It was going to go. Yeah, that it was going downhill. And so I just cold emailed her and said, hey, you know, a longtime customer, I'm a developer. And- um, do you, would you be interested in selling it? And I honestly, I mean, I've done that before and for the most part, it never works. You know, you just either don't hear back or you're going to know, but she was, she was open to it for obvious reasons. It had just kind of become a, maybe a weight around her neck she, yeah. and it wasn't that profitable anymore. It wasn't, it, to be honest, it was never super profitable. Um, the whole freemium thing, there were a number of marketing and, and sales and, and just other mistakes that they made, you know, in my opinion that I've done differently. Um, so the price was too low. They they just had a lot of stuff. They, they well, let's go through some of them. Well, that's this is interesting. What, what, yeah. I mean, you don't have to go in depth, but just what are some of the sure? Yeah, well, one thing was their their pricing was just too low. Um, they allowed up to one hundred thousand uniques per month for nine dollars and ninety five cents. Right. And if you think about that, maybe maybe your system can handle that. But think about a website with ninety thousand uniques per month. 
they really, really can afford to pay you more than 10 bucks a month. They yeah, should right. be able to, right? So that's one of the first things I did was moved it to a tiered, a tiered plan. And then they, what was the other thing? Oh, you know, they did freemium for a long time up front. And they had at one point 30,000 websites using the system who weren't paying. And wow. that just hammering. And they had to add a second server. And this is back in the day, you know, you couldn't just spin up an EC2 instance. They had to buy a physical hardware and, and implement it. And then they started having hard drive failures. I mean, it, it was not a trivial cost to do that. So um, those were uh, kind of a couple of the big ones. The other one was that their funnel, the marketing funnel wasn't done very well in terms of you signed up for a trial and it, a, it was a 60-day trial which is a tremendous amount of time to, it's just a long time to kind of figure out if what you're doing is working. If you want to do what is What did you switch it to? I switched it to a 30-day trial, like on day one when I got it, and then it's now a 21-day trial. Now, I, I'm just curious, just like, this isn't exactly a tangent, but have you tried the 60-day money back uh, route? I haven't, where you bill them up front. And yeah. No, I haven't, but it is, it's definitely something I'm, I would consider. But um, it... Yeah, I just haven't done it yet. To be honest, I'm dealing, I have a, a large international audience and I get, we get pushback just for asking for credit card up front at this point. And so I'm, I'm hesitant to, to spring it now, but it is on like a future list, like 2013 test stuff, like to test it for 21 days and see what happens. What's the, what's the ratio once people sign up with a credit card and uh, you know, how many people cancel at that point? Um, a lot. <laughs> I'm, I won't go into exact conversion rates on it, but you mean how many canceled during the trial? Was, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I can tell you this. For most SaaS apps, the range that I see that you want to get to is that if you ask for a credit card up front, that you want between you want to get to a between forty and fifty percent of people becoming paid users. See, because with with Plugio, I don't know whether you remember this, but I went through the transition and I had that same ratio, and then I switched to the sixty day the 60 day, um, money back. And it, I, I got roughly the same amount of, um, people converting, but I got, it, it went from the 50% to a 5%, uh, refund. Wow. So, but in other words, I gained 45%. To 95%. Right? Yes. Almost a hundred percent on your 50. Wow. Yes, exactly. So that's why I think it's really, really worth trying. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Which you go, you learned that from the from Na, Nasby, right? The company. Yeah, Nasby. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, Michael Swinsky. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get back on the story. We're we're throwing Rob off track right. here. So what? Where were we? So you uh, contact? They weren't making money. They were doing a lot of mistakes. They're making mistakes. They were tra- not charging enough. Right. And right. and just had let it. I mean, had hadn't worked on it in a couple years. Really, hadn't done anything right. since two nine. And so. I, we just, we struck a deal. We negotiated back and forth email for about two months and she wanted, uh, early on wanted a .com valuation of it, you know, where it wasn't based on revenue at all. And I just kept pulling her back, trying to pull her back to a more earth <laughs> reality. And so, but you know, the app was worth, uh, for me, it was worth quite a bit, not because of the code, but because of all the, there are tons of incoming links. There's mentions in the press. Inc. Magazine, Wall Street Journal, you know, Business Week, all kinds of, it, it just has a rich history that you can't build overnight. So that, that has a, a lot of value. And it also had an inc- a nice steady incoming stream of traffic that wasn't being converted very well. They weren't 
being, you know, kind of guided to sign up. They weren't being emailed once they got into a trial, which, you know, something I really espouse, right, is touching base several times during that 30-day trial. And uh, I just knew that I could pro- hopefully right away, you know, start turning it around. So, um, so that was it. So in, uh, let's see, I think it was around September 1 of 2011 uh, is when I took ownership and I needed to stabilize it right away because it was still failing. It was on hardware that was just absolutely limping along. And within about a month, I had it on new cloud servers mm-hmm. at a new data center. And, um, and then a couple months after that, uh, well, I, no, a month after that, I had all the, the funnels was starting to get cleaner in terms of emails and, and such. And then by January is when I did, I, you know, I had a complete redesign done. No backend code changed or not very much. It was just a visual improvement to make it look more professional and also to, to you know, guide through a funnel, basically, to, to kind of encourage them to sign up rather than just wander around the site like they were doing. Did you do a lot of marketing or was it, were you just still going off all the traffic that was coming there? Um, it, by the time I relaunched in January, that was, I wanted that site up before I did any marketing because any effort at that point was wasted because it was kind of like, you know, if I know I can convert X percent, uh, of people that come to the website, but today I'm only converting one-tenth of that, then I don't want to put any effort into getting people there. I was really trying to keep people from, from coming. Huh. <laughs> yeah, so you, so you were just making it, you were getting your funnels right based off the existing traffic. Awesome. Yeah, because I, you know, use up all my traffic sources too early and not have them convert. Now, I remember from our first uh, conversation about Hittail, our previous conversation, you had um, hired a the SQL Server wizard to help with the migration of the database and set up a new version and and everything. Is are you still working with him? Is he is he still helping keep Hittail scaling and, yep. and the backend strong? He's the I have him basically on retainer or just where he works hourly for me and right. he has a monthly task list because it's SQL Server so it needs maintenance and backups and the you know database is uh, it's about a hundred gigs right now I think so it's a non-trivial amount of space right. And, he manages all of that and manages indexes and stuff. So that's super helpful. I mean, that's something that as a developer, you know, just enough to be dangerous. But when you really try to do a heavy database install like this or database maintenance, it's, we're just not cut out for it. You know, we're not experts. And he's been, right. and he's been, it's been great because he's hourly. So it's not like I have him on staff, you know, mm-hmm. scales up and down as needed. He's elastic. You've got an elastic staff and an elastic server. That's right. <laughs> awesome. That's good. I like that term, elastic staff. So, um, all right. So, in, 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 but I remember, how much was it making? It wasn't making very much money. The revenue was like, what, like $1,000 a month or $1,500 a month or something? It was pretty, pretty low, wasn't it? I bought it right around there. Like 1200 to 1500 a month was the, was the uh, gross and the server cost, like the hosting, because they had a cage, was uh, eleven $1, hundred and fifty bucks. So you had a you had a cool fifty bucks profit there. Much. <laughs> so I remember now. I, I remember that it took a little while for you to build up any revenue um, beyond that. I mean, it was. I, I remember listening to some of your the, some of the, your episodes of Startups the Rest of Us, where you were expressing some frustration that it wasn't as easy as you thought it was going to be. Right. Yeah. So what happened was before I did the relaunch in January, I think it was November, I went back and contacted a lot of people who had canceled 
and who had maybe fallen out of the trial or who had just been disgusted with the service. I mean, I had all these email, support emails that I had access to of people you know, being angry with the downtime. So I wound up emailing a couple thousand people, actually it's probably four or 5,000, and saying here, just to let you know, here's a one-time email. You know, I made sure it, didn't, it, it wasn't a spammy type thing, but I said, one-time email, hit tails back, check it out. And here's a preview of the new design that we're launching in a couple months, which kind of set it in their mind that it was, because the design looked pretty sharp in my opinion. So it set it in their mind that we were really doing some work on it. And I wound up growing revenue above right. 2000 just with that maneuver. I probably got it up to about 2100, it was, which was nice. That gave me a little bit of breathing room. So in January, I did the relaunch, which was the new design, the new funnel, um, everything, you know, kind of tied down like I wanted it to be. And then, uh, you know, it, it got on Hacker News. I blogged about it, you know, did kind of the, the one-time launch that you can do that's going to get right. you a spike in traffic. Mentioned it on my podcast. And that did okay. The tr to be honest, that traffic doesn't convert that well, right? Because it's Hacker News people. They want to just come check it out and they're not really looking to, to pay for services. And then a good chunk of my audience is still trying to get started. So they don't actually have, you know, the need for, for a site like this. Some of it converted, but it was overall not a, not a great... Uh, conversion rate, which I had kind of figured, but you know, it was what it was. Did um, now uh, one thing I forgot to ask you, and I don't remember if you if you've been public with this number or not. Did, did how much did you did it did it cost you to buy Hittail? So I haven't been public only because there have been some over the past couple of years. There have been a couple of discussions about someone acquiring Hittail, uh -huh. and if I say if I say how little I paid for it, um, that could have an impact on that. So I haven't gone public. Really? You know what? If you yeah. If you, if you come to MicroConf this year, I, I'm thinking I may do it in my talk. I don't know why that would have an impact because, I mean, if you didn't buy it, you would have paid nothing for it if you'd have just started it from scratch. So what's the difference? I mean, I don't know. You know? Yeah, I'm saying. So I don't think it would have any bearing on their on their sale price. Yeah, I don't. I, mean, I don't believe that. Whoever said yeah. that, I think they're full of it. I don't. That doesn't make yeah. any sense to me. It's it's because like, well, the revenue was X back then, and now the revenue is. You know, yeah, some exactly. multiple of X, and so you can pay some multiple of X. You could basically say, well, you know, I bought it for this, and it was making 50 bucks a month. Right. And I turned it into this, and now it's making, you know, what it's making. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, are, you, are you saying that yet, by the way? Are you Is that public, what it's making? No. And I'm do doing that specifically because of competitors that are now starting to crop up. I just, I mean, you know, as well as I do, that you start talking about how much you're making and what you're doing, too much about your strategy, and other folks kind of... But, I mean, for example, Peldi you know, was always very honest about that. And it has, doesn't seem to have affected his bottom line at all. He, that's not true. He, when he talks about it, he, there are, he has a lot of competitors that sprang up after he started talking about it. And he certainly has done well, but it's definitely impacted his bottom line. With oh, you think there. so? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, so yeah, that's, and that's something we've talked about general. I mean, offline about like, you know, there's this different, there's a, you, you don't want to, you know, when these people walking around and being like, so secretive about your project that you won't even talk to anyone about it. You're like, oh, you got to say an NDA before I can tell you my idea. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. But there's a difference between talking about it to to friends and and colleagues to broadcasting it to thousands of people. I agree right? wholeheartedly. I mean, I can talk about where we'll talk about my new idea later, probably, and I will talk about it. But I'm not going to outline my. You know, I have a big marketing plan. I'm not going to list everything in there. You know, and I'm not right. going to say exactly what the app does yet because it just it's not that doesn't benefit me at all at this point because I know what the value prop is and that's really what people should be, should be focusing on.
Right. Oh. Now, well, one thing I, that you did talk about in the last show, which I thought was interesting, um, was that the purchase price was negotiated based on some stated um, revenue numbers, but it turned out that the, that the revenue wasn't quite what it was supposed to be. Like, after you got the thing up and running, it wasn't quite... Yeah, that kind of happens every time. But what it was, the numbers were correct, but she had given me the annual number for the trailing 12 months. Okay. And, I, and so she gave me this big lump number. And I had said, okay, I'm going to divide that by 12, and that's how much it's making every month. Right. And I think that came out to like 23 or 2400 So in my mind, I was like, boy, September 1, I'm going to start making 2400 a month. But the first month, it did like 1200 And it turns out there were two things. One, there had been a lot of cancellations uh-huh. you know, during that time. And there had also, there was just a big swing up and down there. It wasn't a steady SaaS revenue curve because they had a bunch of annual plans. So a couple months later, the app did, you know, peak over three grand pretty quickly. And then it came back down. So it, it was just a bit of a shock. It wasn't like catastrophic for sure, but it was um, month one out of the gate, a little disappointing. What do you, what do you think about annual plans? Well, oh, wait, just let me say, well, let me just follow, I'll follow up on this real quick, uh, if you don't mind. Um, so... Sure. Would you say, I guess, so it wasn't that she misrepresented the numbers. It was that you didn't ask quite the right question. You need need to have more detailed information about, you probably, what you'd want is like a month-by-month revenue and a list of the plans and who was paying what, right? Yep. Yep. Which she couldn't give me. She could give me month-by-month, but she couldn't give me plans and who was paying what because it was all through PayPal and their reporting sucks. So she literally didn't know who, was, who were customers and who weren't. And when I went into their database, the SQL database, that was a mess. And I spent about a month trying to go through PayPal plans and figure out who actually had paid and who just was sneaking through. So there were, the data really wasn't anywhere that you could get access to easily. Wow. So it wasn't, she, she wasn't even suppressing it. She was just, no, it was bad. That's right. And there was a lot of, there were several other things like that. Like she... I asked her, how many active customers do you have? That was wrong. How many cancel per month? That was wrong. How many, you know, all this stuff. But she was looking at a report. She was not a developer. She was looking at this report that was just a, you know, an ASP page querying the database. And by the time I got into those queries, once I owned it, I was like, these queries are all wrong. You know, they right. don't even make any sense. And the data was bad. So there was just, that's one, but that's one of the things. That's one of the risks I, I knew that going in. You know, that kind of happens in one way or another with every acquisition. And so when you, I I needed it to be at a price where even if it didn't hold up to the revenue, she said that it was still worth my while. Right. So, do you mind Do you mind answering that question about annual plans? Like, what's your take on that? Do you think they're good or bad, or what? What do you think? I think overall they're probably good. Um, they're good in that they keep your churn down. You know, you get you don't have as much monthly churn. So if your if your average lifetime value is less than 12 months, then an annual plan is fantastic because instantly it makes your lifetime value 12 months. The problem is, is it it's more difficult to manage from like a cash flow and financial perspective because you have to think about it differently and you really should divide it, divide that revenue by 12 and space it out over the next 12 months. And I don't personally do that. I don't have an accountant doing it. So I think... I think a, a large company like HubSpot that really knows what they're doing and has all this infrastructure in place to handle that, they totally want to get you on either annual plans or at least annual contracts, right? That's their, that's their deal. I think as a small SaaS operator at this point, I'm sticking with, with um, monthly stuff purely for the ease and the, and the eve, evenness of the cash flow. Yeah, that, I, I was feeling the same, and I was just curious as to whether you had a, another way of thinking about it, but it sounds like you are feeling that way, so that's, mm-hmm. that's interesting mm-hmm. to hear. I Thanks. think I am going to test 
uh, annual plans. This, that's another thing. I have like three or four things like that. There's annual plans. There's what you said, which is charging up front. Um, shortening my trial was another thing. That These are kind of big changes to the funnel that make you scared when you do them. And you could kind of <laughs> screw up a whole month worth of stuff. And I've, I've been knocking those off. 21-day trial was really a good move. Um, for a bunch of reasons, but these these other you, two things I'm gonna wait 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 why is that why was that such a uh, good move? You don't have to wait so long for yep. the cash. Yeah, well, one you don't have to wait so long for the cash. Two, you don't have to wait so long to test things. So if you want to test, like, oh, I'm gonna make this change and see how many people convert, you can get it the results in 21 days rather than waiting 30 or 60. And in addition, the month that I changed from 30 to 21 days, I had nine days of overlapping conversions, basically. Right where where people from the thirty day and the twenty one day trial were converting, so like my revenue shot up that month because I had. A- I took it, I took it down to fourteen, and it made no difference whatsoever. Yeah, I can't do that. I've looked at my reports, and with Hittail, you need by average customer needs a certain a certain number of days in order for them to get enough results for it to be. Oh, you know what of I'm saying? course, yeah, it's yeah, a that different app yeah. than than like Plugio. Yeah, makes sense. So, okay, when, um, why don't we get on a little bit of the story of like the growth or what you, what you did that you're willing to share about how, sure. you, how you grew? Plugio. Yeah, no, I'm, actually, I'm, I'm willing to share most of it, to be honest. Um, okay. The, Not Plugio, Hittail. Yeah, Hittail. <laughs> right. So what I did out of the gate, I, I, early on I did the things that don't scale, right? It's the things like um, blogging about it, talking about it when I speak, um, going on a bunch of podcasts. I probably went on a dozen different podcasts. In the first um, two weeks, I'm sorry, two months after after I relaunched, mm-hmm. and those things did a nice job to build revenue, but they they're just very one time. They're really one time bumps, right? Right. But and that was nice, and that got it up. I think another couple grand, like another thousand or two thousand a month. Oh, so that's very much. So it's very much worth doing then. It was worth doing, but it, and it was it was worth doing, but I can't do it again, right? It's not okay. repeatable. So after running through all the things that, that weren't repeatable, that's where, that was like February or March, and I kind of had internal goals of, of where I wanted the app to, to be growing. And since I'd exhausted the repeatable things, I was becoming frustrated. And that's where you heard me talk on Startups for the Rest of Us, where it was like, um, you know, I grew by a few hundred bucks last month, you know, and that was like all the work that I'm doing, and it's not, not paying off. And that's when I started experimenting with some things that are just more scalable. And um, I eventually, I found a couple, I found some paid acquisition that worked and I tried about 12 different ad networks and ad sources and a couple things there have, have really you know, propelled the growth. And then actually AppSumo helped out quite a bit in terms of, it was a one-time bump, but it, it just you know, had a, a one or two, it helped one or two months grow pretty quickly. Even beyond, it was an annual plan and so I don't even include that revenue. Like that's just side revenue, but it actually sent enough traffic just being on people's radar that, you know, people signed up and a few people sign up each month um, just from the AppSumo link as well. So AppSumo is kind of like Groupon for web apps, right? Yep, that's right. And so they, they you know, they, you give them this crazy deal and they take a huge chunk of it. And How much do they take? They take 70%. Oh. They take 70 now. Wow, that's even gone. Yep. I mean, it used to be 50. Now it's 70. Yeah, they take 70. They give you 30. And they, at the time, they had a list of, I don't even know, half a million people or something. And the deal, you know, I mean, I had a $20 a month plan. So that'd be about 240 annually. And they sold it for 89 bucks. So you see how, you know, you don't actually get a lot of, of money per 
per new customer. Um, but there was a chunk of change. I mean, geez, it drove, I think I, I got a check for 11,000 bucks or something, which was, it's a, it's a nice little chunk of change. It's a one-time thing, but it helped, you know, uh, kind of propel some of this. It allowed me to be very flexible with experimentation in terms of, um, of paid acquisition, right? Because then I could really throw money around and do some risky stuff and figure out what worked. And then I could also go, you know, I'm now working on content marketing, writers, infographics, bloggers, that kind of stuff. And that stuff's not cheap either. And so it, it, I, I, it's not that I didn't have the money in the bank to do that, but it, it just kind of freed me up and I realized, oh, there's, there's a lot of money here to, that I can reinvest into this product. I can't get over the annoyance of like allowing a user to use my system for a year for like 30 bucks. Like that would irritate me. Yeah. And, and so on the one hand, you've got this nice big chunk of change, but on the other hand, there's this like little yucky feeling inside. I, I agree. It's not, it's not for, certainly not for everyone. And I don't know if I'll do it with every app I have. It's, it's not a no brainer. I'll put it that way. It, I really had to think about it a lot, you know, um, in the end, there were other benefits that came along with it, such as just being mentioned on AppSumo and all the, the, the big footprint they have. When they stomp, the ripples in the water send thousands of people to your site who, who aren't even using their link and they don't buy through AppSumo, they buy directly from you. That makes sense? Hmm. So I got a yeah. big bump or a decent bump in, in real monthly subscriptions that was worthwhile. You know? So you think it's kind of found money in a lot of cases? Yeah. I do. I think that at that point, I, I was kind of, you know, feeling like, huh, I haven't really, I haven't really found a lot of new customers in the past couple months. What, what are my other options? And I was looking down the list and I was like, all right, let's give AppSumo a try. Thinking that, and, and I think it was correctly, that, that the people who they reach in their email list are probably people I'm not going to be able to reach or I wasn't able to reach through my previous efforts. Okay. Oh. So the other thing, the other thing about AppSumo is it's not like any anyone can get on there. Like you have to have something interesting to them and special to them to even be considered for a deal in the first place. Like I've tried to get Plug You on there like three times, and they've always said, "Yeah, no. they reject a lot so, of the apps." Yeah, yeah they do. You hear that? So, and that was that. So that was probably June or July of this year. It's about five six months ago. And then since then, like I said, I've I've I have found some flywheels, so to speak, that have really. Uh, really helped the growth and it's continued. It's now growing where I wanted it to grow. You know, my impatience wanted it to grow January, February. It's growing at that level or more every month. So it took what, about eight months or something like that before you hit the flywheels? Yeah. Where you found the flywheels, I guess? Uh, it, yeah, it was, I think July was the first month that I hit, that I hit a, a, a nice one. So it was about six months. Okay. And that was you trying a lot of different things. Yep. That's exactly what it was. Was there a never, never point where you thought, God, I, this isn't going to work. I think I'm just going to move on to something else. I, I never thought that I was going to move on, but what I thought was, at what point do I keep growing slowly and do I kind of, do I back off of this? You know, and I was looking at, huh, do I go through another, do I go to January of this year, which would be one year, or do I go to, you know, July, which would be 18 months from launch? And that's what I was weighing in my head was how long do I push on this for a few hundred dollars a month worth of growth. Now, I'll, I'll step back here and say that I've had a lot of apps in the past um, that grow slower than hit tail and that I've been much more patient with because it was earlier in my career. You know, it was like the, even just having a couple thousand bucks a month was like a big win for me. And so I don't, I think if you're first starting out and you hear me saying, oh, only a few hundred bucks a month in growth, that would be sufficient. Like that is sufficient at a certain point in terms of what you're doing. But my goals for hit tail were not that you know, dropping a big chunk of money up front and then investing all this time, pretty much full time, I had bigger goals for it. And so that's where the frustration came in, not with the absolute numbers, but with the relative 
Because in a sense, you sort of put all your eggs in one basket, whereas your previous strategy was more of the Warren Buffett, lots of little things. Yeah, and, but I still have all of those. But you're right. Um, I, did, I invested more time and money into, into Hittail than any previous endeavor I've ever done. Wow. So, you know, hmm. now I remember we had a barbecue. You guys were visiting. You and Sherry and the kids were visiting in Pasadena. And this was like July. And I think it was right around, I think it was 4th of July. Or no, when it was 4th of July, it was right around 4th of July weekend. Hmm. And that's when I said, I want to invest in the hit tail. You remember? Yeah. And you were, jo- you were laughing about it. And I was like, no, I'm serious. Can I, get, can I write you a check? And that was right before you found your flywheel. Yep. You did that early on when I said, hey, I think I'm going to buy this thing. That was like oh. a year earlier. We had coffee at Twitter uh, and you had right. said, I'll write you a check, you know? And I was like, yeah, I'm not taking investment. It's just more cumbersome, you know? And- <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, if you did take investment, how would you pay it out? Like, how would that even work? Yeah, I know. That's, that's one of the things. I mean, it would have to be, there'd have to be an exit or a dividend. And I, I don't know. I wanted to focus on the business rather than worry about that kind of stuff. To be Rather than cash, damn! I keep like I keep calling it. Like I know I can see when something's gonna work, <laughs> and just uh, yet there's no no uh, no. How about you? You know, you'll just get a like a, a drink, like a, a free pint or something like that. Except you don't drink. Maybe a meal. Rob will take you to California Pizza Cat Factory. No, that's not gonna cut it. No, that's just not gonna cut it. <laughs> I wanted to put five. I would have put like ten grand. I think at that time I was thinking I could maybe do ten thousand. Right. That would be a big chunk of money for me, especially right. at that point. And I'm like, but I, but then he's got to have all that stress of your money in his business. No, he does. I mean, look, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not a hard ass investor. I'd trust him. I'd just be like, all right, man, go make it happen. <laughs> Talk to you next year. Yeah. To be honest, it wouldn't be the stress of the money. It'd more be the, well, I guess I would be concerned about, about losing it, but I would, it's more of like the reorganizing the company because I have an umbrella LLC that has all my apps in it and I would need to go form another corporation, get shares, pay a lawyer to do that, do separate taxes for it, move the app under there. It's just more headache. Unless I'm going to raise a hundred grand, it's totally not worth the the book. (laughs) And what's the point in raising a hundred grand when the whole point of what you're doing is bootstrapping? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but let's just be clear, though. If I had put in ten grand back in January, even in June, I would have done very well for myself. You, you would, you'd be doing well. Yeah, yeah. you'd be doing well. Let's, let's just but put ne- that on the but record. Let's, let's, but let's be clear, because you didn't put in ten grand, Rob's doing better for himself. Right? Yeah. Oh, not necessarily. <laughs> I might have. He would have had ten more grand. That that app sumo money, that eleven grand that he got in when? What, what month did you do that? Um, June, I think, was the promotion. I think I got the money on like August one. Yeah, so maybe so maybe he would have had that equivalent of money uh, back in uh, in February. So yeah, six months ahead. Yeah, I already see. I already had that money sitting in the bank, and I was thinking to myself, "What am I going to do with this?" And then when the AppSumo money came along, I was like, "Okay, I need to stop being stupid, and I need to start spending some of this money." Like I suddenly realized that I'm not. There's a difference between bootstrapping and self-funding, and I suddenly realized that bootstrapping is when you literally maybe you put in fifty bucks or a hundred bucks into a product, but then it's revenues grow it and you never put more money in. Whereas self-funding means that you fund it yourself. And I suddenly realized, wait, I'm, I'm starting to pile up a little, you know, small little cash, uh, cachet of cash from all the other apps that I have. And, you know, my book brings in revenue and microconf brings in a little bit of revenue. I mean, there's just the, all these sources I have and it's sitting in, in a business bank account. And I was like, why don't I take this and invest in myself instead of putting it into, you know, the mutual fund or stock I was going to. 
because yeah, <laughs> you're getting a huge return on that. Obviously. Well, that's that's actually a great. I mean, we we ha- I don't know whether you heard, but we had that discussion. Yeah. I don't know whether it was last show or a few shows ago. Yep. And so it sounds like you are behind the invest in yourself rather than invest in stocks and mutual funds. Yeah, I also, I mean, I have retirement money. That's my safe money, and that is in mutual funds, and it's in pretty, you know, it's in index funds that just go with the market. So it's not risky. I have maybe seven to ten thousand bucks in stocks. So to me, just a, a very small amount of play money, and that's just for because you know, it's you know, it's it's like Jason's doing with Tesla. Um, which I think I am going to buy some. Which is up to 35 bucks right now, I'd like to point should out. Have, should have <laughs> a month ago, I started talking about it. But I play around with that money, but it's not really anything that I'm going to retire on. And then business money stays in the business, and I don't pull that out into my personal stuff at all. And I've decided that business money is going to get reinvested back into the business until it's, you know, someday if it becomes an obscene amount of money. I mean, obviously, if it's millions of dollars, I'm probably going to pull some of it out and put it in a safer thing. But um, at this point, it's really about growing, growing the businesses I have and acquiring new ones. Okay, but you know, but you have invested in other businesses. So for you have at least one good example. You invested in WP Engine, Jason Cohen's uh, industrial strength, you know, WordPress startup, right? Yep. And I did that for two reasons. One, because come on, it's Jason Cohen. Like, who right. would you <laughs> held you and said, "Hey, I'm starting this thing." I didn't even. He like sent me a link to a prospectus or to like expl- explanation of the business, and the link was dead. And I replied and I said, I'm in. Like, I- <laughs> I'm in. What's the plan? What is it? What are you doing? I don't yeah. care. It, I didn't, it didn't matter because I, I'm confident. I'm investing in him. And I know well, that's not- what I'm saying. That's why I want to invest in you. It's like, I, you know, which we, we joked around the sh- podcast. It's like, you, you, you mostly you just bet on the horse, especially if the horse is doing something that's well within their wheelhouse. Right. And right. Yeah. No, I agree. And I agree. And that's why, well, Two things. It's one that is why I invested in WP Engine and why I will probably, you know, I'm, I'm a, they're gonna, probably going to do another round and I'll probably reinvest and, and, you know, give even more money with given the growth that it's had. Um, but this, the second thing is I, there's two reasons to, well, in terms of taking investment, like from, from my perspective or from Jason's perspective, I've realized that you absolutely can bootstrap or self fund a business and grow it at a certain speed. And I've done that with small businesses, and I've now done that with Hittail, which is a little bigger. But if I had a hundred grand or two hundred grand when I first started Hittail, it would absolutely, assuming I do what I was doing, absolutely would have grown faster. That makes sense. So it's really just speed. I mean, that's the only reason I would take funding is to grow it if I wanted to grow something faster. But still, you can do it yourself at a slower pace and not raise the money. You know. So are you thinking that? I mean, is is that on the Rob Walling horizon? Maybe uh, get on an angel list. Get like on that? angel list or something, and. Well, no, 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 Angel. Let's just talk to me and me and Jason and and a few other friends. Yeah, well, let's start. We, <laughs> let's we not need, give it away. We need to come up with a TZ fund, right? <laughs> yeah, I um, I that's totally how I would do it. I would email a handful of people that I know. You know, so would you would you like to swing for the fences though? Would you like to do some project that it was you think okay, this is going to be a huge project? I don't know. It depends on what you mean by huge, but yes, I. I feel like it's human nature as, as competitors and entrepreneurs that we always want our next one should be bigger than the previous one in order to keep us happy. Because it's like you don't learn anything doing another thing that's hit tail sized. You don't learn anything doing another .NET invoice. You, know, you, get, you almost have to go bigger or you could back off, go into semi-retirement, maybe teach. You know, I mean, dude, seriously, just kind of back it off. And I did that for a time too when Fisher was born, well, my second son was born. Um, so... Bottom line is, yes, is raising funding on my horizon? Maybe. 
at some point. I don't think I'm going to do it with the next idea because it doesn't it doesn't really need funding. But you know, if I get that next idea to a point where, but but you just said if you had a hundred thousand up front, you could have grown it much quicker. So if you if you go with funding on the next idea, then you'll have that hundred thousand up front. Um. Yes. Exactly, Rob. You can't squirm out of this one. Yes. However, <laughs> say there's um. I, let's say I have a chunk of money in the bank right now from Hitel and these other apps that is going to help me grow the next one. I don't need funding at this point, if that makes sense. Like I do actually have a, a chunk of, of cash that I'm ready and willing to invest that should help me grow it as fast as I possibly can right now, at least as fast as I know how to. And so... Your, your greediness makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm just more about I hate paperwork and I like control... I think that's where the, the funding stuff comes in, right? If I raised a, a, a little bit of money, um, I would still have control, but a little bit of money doesn't do me any good. I'd need to raise quite, you know, a big chunk of money in order for it to make a difference. And at that point, I think you start seeding control and it changes your lifestyle, right? It means you have to, you have to then grow that business to a seven-figure business for anyone to cash out. And at this point, I don't know that I want to feel the pressure. So, so yeah, so then you've got pressure. Yeah, that, that, that is, that's true. I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm skeptical. I think if he had a hundred grand, <laughs> particularly from us and a handful of other fellow friends, and we told off like a minority of the business guys, guys like us who understand him, trust him, or just kind of sit back and be like, hey, you know, just we'll yeah, we'll talk to you. We'll Here's ten grand. We'll talk to you in a year. We'll catch up. <laughs> we'll catch up later. Go get him. Get him, Tiger. You know, I think that would uh, I think that would be nice because then you could play it safer with the the money you have in the bank. You could you know, invest in hit tail or something else. But, um, but of course I'm, I'm, uh, I'm speaking from a very subjective self-serving point of view. Cause <laughs> I want a piece of this next project. Uh, you know, I want, I just want, you know what we want. I, I, I think we need to do the, I, there, the, the domain is available. Invest in rob.com. <laughs> no, you know, I want to buy, buy the Rob <laughs> ETF tracking fund. Yeah. That, that actually is, is interesting, Jason. You could do like a Kickstarter concept invest in Rob, but you could say invest in anyone. And so you could say, look, let's just collect all this money, but but no credit card is actually charged unless they accept and say, okay, I'm going to go with this. Right. So it's like if, so you, if the money got high enough, Rob was like, all right, fine, I'll, I'll take it and I'll use it for this, my next business. Yeah. Next idea or something. I'd be like, shut up already. I'll take the hundred grand. I would say five years ago or 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah, I've been trying. I've been, you know, I've been doing my best to browbeat him into taking my money, but so far it's just, just, uh, you know, it's just. I'm All right, gonna... that, okay, okay. We've we've gone on about that long enough. Let's let's start to. I mean, have we finished the hit tail story, or can can we get on to the next one? Yeah, I think it's I think it's done. Well, I want to ask uh, not about hit tail, but just in general about investing. I mean, so just to finish up the whole invest in yourself versus other um, other entrepreneurs. I mean, what what are your thoughts about that? I mean, we talked about a little bit about that offline the other day. Um, yeah, you guys yeah. talked about it on the podcast, which is a fascinating conversation. And I kept, when you guys were talking about it and realizing, you know, J uh, Justin was saying like invest in yourself, whereas you were saying, well, I have enough money to invest in other people. I think it's, I think it really does come down to uh, like a personal choice at some point, because I think that until I've made it to a certain point, uh, like a certain size or a certain level of success, that I don't want to put a bunch of money into other people because I personally want to achieve that success for myself. But that's a personal goal. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone doesn't necessarily have that goal. Some people just say, I want to 
invest in a lot of things and maybe have a lot of money. For me, if I invested in 10 different Jason Cohen's and made a million bucks, I'd be like, oh, that's great. Now I need, I still need to prove to myself that I can do that as an entrepreneur. That makes the thing. So a- yeah, no, totally does. I mean, the, the thing I don't like about investing in other things is, is the return seems so low, even when it's really good, even on a 10x return, you have to put in like a hundred grand, which is huge, you know, to get something big back. So that's, that's my thought. What about investing? Say you wrote a check for 10 grand and then you got a hundred grand back in two to three years. It, you don't retire on it. It doesn't change your life, but that's enough money to, to actually make a difference in. Well, th- yeah, that, yeah, three is, years. that it, you know, going from like having five grand in the, or, you know, having 10 or 15 grand into having 115 grand in the bank is life changing. Well, well, that's huge, but you, but Jason, I mean, you were saying that often you need to wait kind of five to seven years for those kind of. I would returns, just throw those right? numbers out there. I mean, you know, if if let's just go through and let's say that I had put ten grand into Hittail, you know, maybe you know he would have gotten the ten x return in two to three years, but five to seven still would have been fantastic to get that kind of return. I mean, the the current the five year CD is one percent. Okay, well, well, my way of thinking is if I if I if I don't already if I'm not already earning that level of return through my own things in 10 years, then I've kind of failed. So I was thinking to myself, look, within, within seven years, I'm going to have everything I want, you know, and if I don't, I'm an idiot. So you just rather like all or nothing. So you'd rather just, you either, either I'm succeed, you know, or I'm going to just fail and it's fine. See, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't really care about that. I want, I mean, I'm just trying to maximize my return, whether I can make it or I can make it through investing other people or, or most likely in some combination. Like I would like to be able to, you know, invest in my own, you know, my own projects. But if I have excess capital that I'm not going to put all on my one thing, which is just, which is just actually dangerous, right? I mean, if you're 25 or 30 and you're, you don't have any kids and you're like, well, I got an extra 30 grand in the bank and I'm going to use this to kind of self-fund myself or I'm going to work part-time and or back off the consulting work on project. That makes sense, right? But move you move further down the line and you got, you know, a mortgage and kids and stuff like that. You can't take all of your savings and just put in your project because if it fails and then you don't have anything in the bank, that's just stupid. It's irresponsible, right? It's crazy. Well, but, but Rob's spoken about in the past about why investing in himself has been very low risk. Well, I mean, I'm just, okay, so we'll go on. Yeah, so. Are you still on road? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. anyway, I mean, that was just my perspective. I mean, like, I don't, I mean, you guys are both talking from a sort of like personal stamp, like it's more of an emotional thing. Like I want to prove to myself or whatever. I'm just talking sort of like raw numbers. Like how do right. we maximize, you know, your return on either your time or your money. But anyway, so what, what do you think about that, Rob? Well, I, I also think that you tackle different projects than I do in terms of risk. Every project you've gone after has been a big, you know, large idea with a lot of risk. And if they hit, I mean, if if Prezo or you know any of of the ideas you worked on had hit, you would be a seven or eight figure, uh, having seven or eight figure net worth at this point. Um, whereas I've done smaller things where the risk has been a lot less. I mean, even Hittail, it, it you know I don't think it'll. Well, who knows where it'll go? But it's. It's, a, it's just a smaller idea, right? It doesn't blow up like the, the ideas you were doing, the more funded ideas. And so I think there is less risk with something like the, you know, the, the lifestyle businesses that Justin and I do. So I think there could potentially be, um, well, there's just potentially room there to, to lower that risk. Plus, it just, to me, it just seems like fun, right? I mean, it'd be fun to invest in friends of yours who you really believe in. That part right? I- like absolutely, I've loved being involved in WP Engine because you get the you know personal emails from Jason Cohen saying, "Hey, I need your help. Like you're an investor, can you help with this?" 
you know? And it's like, yeah. that's cool. I like doing that. I like actually helping a business that's really growing and just feeling part of that, that community, you know? And also, um, I, I think there's, uh, what was I going to say? Ugh, sorry guys, lost my train of thought. That's okay. I mean, anyway, I mean, we, we don't have to go on about it, but, um, yeah, it's an interesting topic. I mean, I, I, there's no right answer. It just really depends on the individual, how many, how many, how much uh, money they have available versus time, where they are in their life, what their yeah. risk profile is. I mean, you know, it's it's just, and then, then even then, it's very subjective on like how risky something is or it isn't. You know, right? If if you had, if you have your retirement, you know, it's not taken care of totally, but you're on track that if you keep putting money away the way you are, that you're on track to have nice big chunk of money in the in mutual funds, and then you have fifty thousand bucks in the bank that you've earned through your businesses. At a certain point, you have to ask yourself, what am I doing with that 50 grand? Am I going to, do do I even know how to spend that if I start a company? You know what I'm saying? Like, if you built an idea, would you even know, like, how would you spend that uh, on yourself, on bootstrapping your business? Or would it be better to, to, you know, diversify it out into something like, you know? Exactly, exactly. That is a good point, because I can't really imagine Jason, for example, buying Facebook ads or Google ads, no. you know, he, to build a business. He doesn't, he just doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. Yeah. I agree. He's going to go about it a different way. I don't know the, the, how much money, aside from paying his salary, I don't know how much money does for, for Jason when he's starting a business, you know, because he's not going to hire a VA and hire outsourced development and do the things where money for me or, you know, potentially for Justin would actually benefit and get us there faster. Although I will say this, I mean, Justin and I have just recently uh, got a deal with a guy to help us out with uh, Inifo to hire to um, to go and recruit experts for us, and that you know Justin kind of brought up that idea, and I thought that made sense. So I'm willing to to do things like that, I guess. But I am right; I'm a little more reticent to to hire people to do things that I feel like I could do, or I, I guess I maybe want to do, but. Um, you're doing things especially that you maybe either you can't do, like certain types of design work, or flat out don't want to do, then that's great to be, pay someone to do that. Right. But then, of course, that becomes that in certain points, that it, it, you know, that is only an option if you have the capital, right? So like a year ago or whatever, when Jess and I were first getting off the ground with any food, there's, I, I wouldn't have had the capital to do. Yep. If Jess said, hey, let's put money in this. I'm like, I can't, you know, with what? There's no way. But uh, now it's like, okay, we can put a little bit of money in this. I'm so dying to hear about Rob's uh, next idea. And I, yeah. I kind of think I know what it is, but I just really want to hear it from his own uh, mouth. Yeah, let's hear it. Let's move it on. What's the next All what's right. the new, the, the new idea that I'm not getting invested into? <laughs> and I'm also not getting an opportunity to invest in. I have a feeling I'm going to hear about this for a long time. Oh, you're going to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, Rob, this, if, if this idea is what I think it is, like I want to become a customer. At least let me be customer one. Okay. <laughs> Very well. Jeez. <laughs> It's the shut up and take my money thing. I, I hope, I hope yeah. my idea lives up to that. So first, let me say that the only reason that I'm even stepping away from Hittail a little bit, because I'm sure in people's mind, they're like, ah, Rob's just leaping away from this, you know, growing freight train and he's jumping on this other thing because he has entrepreneurial ADD. It's not the case. Two things. One, I have a project manager, a product manager who is just kicking ass and taking names on Hittail. And he has exceeded every expectation I had for him. And he does several things better than I do. And then the second thing is we have a process set up and it like growth is continuing at the level before I started backing away from it. And I wanted to make sure of that before I moved on to this new idea. So I'm now see, I am now seeing it as 
as automating another business, you know, that I'm kind of stepping away and managing multiple businesses, even though they're getting bigger. Um, and with the new idea, I may do, you know, we may spend 18 months to two years on it, and then I may hire someone to manage that as well. So, I mean, you see Heaton has done it. Heaton Shaw has done it with Crazy Egg, and uh, other folks have done this successfully. So, I think that might be my the architecture for my uh, my new way of doing things. Yeah, and I want to get in, after you talk about the new business, I want to get back to this, uh, this, this product manager, because I think that's an interesting story. Cool. Um, I have some theories about that, how we can make that like repeatable. <laughs> but anyway, so go on. Okay, so the new idea is called Drip, and you'll never guess who came up with the name for it. Oh, I love that name. Where do you, I bet you do. So Jason Roberts himself, at, during lunch, he went to the bathroom, came back, and said, I have a new name for your, your idea. And I was like, really? And so he Actually, found- I said, I just named your company. <laughs> and I already had a name in, in the world. The, the idea behind it is it's essentially it is- facilitates, um, it's funny, I, I don't have my pitch down. Can you tell? I haven't really talked about <laughs> writing. I'm like stumbling. But basically, it, it makes it super easy to set up uh, an email follow-up sequence. It makes it so that you convert more of your website visitors to customers is the top-line goal. But the way it does that is it has a super simple embeddable JavaScript thing you put on your site, and then you can configure a form that appears either at the bottom of every page, like a little Olark pop-up, you know, the chat pop-ups, except for it pops up after a certain amount of time and it says, hey, we have this awesome email course for you or an awesome report or something. And it encourages people to sign up. You can also configure it as some other, there are other options there. And then we, on the back end, we just make it super easy, way easier than anything like MailChimp or, you know, anything that's out there today to to build that sequence because creating the content is not trivial for that. And so we have a number of, of options will be. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking you were going it, to, it's the content aspect. Cause for example, with Plugio, like I know I'm supposed to create a lot of drip campaigns and, and get stuff like that on the go. And I want to do a lot more of it, but it's such a hassle, you know, it's such a hassle, even just to come up with the content and then to like, even the drip system is all something that I've created. I would so much rather just log into your nice to e- easy to use interface select a great professional template, type in some text and get, you know, have some guided content as well. So you, you tell me, this is the kind of thing you should send next. This is great for a second. And then I just go, boom. And then that's ready. And there you go. Yeah. So that's the idea. It's at get, I just have a landing page up right now. It's at getdrip.com. And it's an awesome domain too. Where'd you get that? Yeah. So that was the thing. <laughs> I had a, a different name for it that I liked, but the, there were just no good domains. I mean, I had, I had some kind of, cheesy domains for it and jason instantly found get drip and so uh he allowed me to register it now what he should have done is held it hostage and only given it to me if, if he let if i let him invest God, they should have done that right they done that. but i you know i i was okay well a couple things so we were at we were at lunch we were having lunch and then i like as he as he said i i came back and i said I just i named your company and he you had been talking to derek sivers and other people so they came up with some pretty good names right like Courier or something, and yeah, that was it. The other one, and I really liked that idea. But it was, you know, there's spelling issues with that. Couldn't get great domains. Um, couple, couple other things. Drip is just so nice because it's four letters, seven letter domain. That's a pretty unique thing these days. 
Yeah, so we had that lunch, and I was kind of convincing. I'm like, this is absolutely the right name. And he was like, well, you know, and I'm like, dude, I'm telling you, this this drip is it. And he's like, okay, well, I'll, I'll think about it. And uh, and then when I got home, I immediately went sat down, and I started searching for domains, and I came up with like three or four. One was drip with like two or three Ps or something like that. And, and so I emailed him like four domains. I said, here are four ones that are available. I think are really good. And, and I think my favorite, which I – to the top was getdrip.com. And then I remember we went to the, we were, we were meeting later that day at the park with the kids. And I remember I was there, push, we were pushing the kids in the swings. I was talking to Sherry and you're walking around with your phone trying to register get drip on GoDaddy and it wasn't working. You're like, damn it. Yeah, I was mad because I wanted it now, right? It's like, I don't, if I wait five hours, this thing's going to be gone. That's at least the, the conversation that's going on in my head. Right. So I, um, you know, I, of course, I'd never, I would never have considered holding it hostage. I should have jokingly done that. But uh, I was already working another angle. I was, ta- I was telling um, a Sherry, I'm like, hey, Sherry, now I'm investing this, right? I want you to understand that I'm investing this. She's like, I'm sending you the money. And she was like, okay. Trying to get the wife commitment. <laughs> I was. I was working that angle. I thought that would work, but maybe not. <laughs> so anyway, I was just really happy. I mean, obviously, I was excited about the idea. And then when that name came and then the domain, I, just want, I was really pushing for him to use them because I, uh, I liked them so much. I thought it would work. So one question, do you think that by uh, saying this now, before it's kind of ready, do you think that you're in any way risking that business of getting competitors or something like that? Potentially. Um, but I, I also know that once I put a landing page up, people are going to know about it anyways, because I'm going to be promoting it on the podcast and through other means. So what I'm not going to do is tell you exactly, you know, I, I, I've been a little bit of vague about it, right? I, I help you do these things. I will help. We will facilitate it so that you can put up content easier, but I'm not telling you exactly how I'm going to do that because I really do have some, some quote unquote secret sauce in these realms. And I want to get out there first and get those things honed and, and make them really work before, you know, some, I mean, if I explain it all now, a competitor feasibly could work days and nights and, and get out ahead of me, but I'm also not, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to flatter myself and say, oh, this idea is so genius. It's just going to attract millions of competitors. I mean, that's, that's also you know what we could do? We could create like 10 different landing pages for 10 different businesses and then release them all on the show. And then people wouldn't know exactly which one was the one that we were going to focus on. <laughs> Very nice way to confuse your, your potential customers too. They're like, what am I signing up for? <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, the other thing is too is, um, you know, even, even, I mean, there's got to be like somebody who's doing something like this out there, right? I mean, is this, is this, is this a completely oh, novel idea? I mean, this, no, no. I mean, basically, it get contact. You know, um, what what what's the contact one called? First contact, uh, constant contact. Yeah, constant contact. Mailchimp. They all have this as like a part of their. Aweber. Yeah, the, there's yeah. all those high level large ones. Campaign that, monitor. Yep, they all kind of throw you to the wolves in the sense of you got to you figure it out yourself. They're really an email delivery platform, right? They right, really are right. all about um, typing an email here and then it, we'd get it to people. The, the angle that there are companies taking uh, similar angles, um, there's one called, what is it? It's Vero, V-E-R-O. I think it's getvero.com, customer.io, intercom.io. They're all doing lifecycle emails, but they are doing, for the most part, they're doing either trial emails or customer retention emails. You know, if the customer hasn't logged in for this long, then email them. And I, I think those are awesome spaces as well and potentially somewhere where Drip will, will expand into. But Drip lives in the time before they sign up for a trial. It is website visitor into a trial or website visitor into a purchase. You know, it's more, it's almost more like an advertising platform. It really is about converting people to something rather than keeping them around. 
and it's it's like all strongly typed around that concept. So the you know when you log into Mailchimp, you're looking at how big is my list, how much this, yeah. how much that. My vision for for Drip is that when you log in, you don't even care how many people are on your list. You know what you care about? How many people have converted and on what email and based on what change to what email and you know can you how much how many things can you split test to get to the optimum uh, you know the optimum kind of path which Mailchimp, Aweber, and, and Console Contact don't allow you to do on follow-up sequences. They don't allow any split testing. So there's a lot. Well, it's like, it's like you're, you're productizing just one tab of Mailchimp. That's right. Yep. That's exactly right. And may, but making it, not just productizing it, making it better is the goal, right? Is, is to use the knowledge that, that I've gained over however many years of doing this with all my apps and realizing that there's a lot of work we have to go through in order to, to get what, I mean, we have it on Hittail. If you go to hittail.com right now, it's in the lower right. To get that form there and get everything in place was way too much work is the bottom line. And I want to make that a lot, a lot simpler for people. And I also want to add functionality to it. We don't have split testing. We don't have the tracking that I want in there. And that's all going to be going to be in drip. That's so, super cool. Well, how long is it going to take it. before you're, uh, before you're out? We, we put down a feature set. Um, I met with, with my, my Hittail product manager is also working on this and it is, it's about, let's see, I'm thinking early April. I think in sometime in March, which is what, about three, three and a half months, um, we will have something to show to like the early access customers. Because I did, I should note, I, I contacted 17 people and I got 11 of them to essentially buy in and say, yes, I'm willing to try it out. And that if it, if it has a positive ROI, that I will pay for this and I will pay that price that I, that I named. Um, so I, seven, you said you contacted 17 and 11 said that they would do it. Is that right? They're the numbers. Yep. Yep. And I expected okay. to contact more. So it was actually, that was a positive thing. And maybe Justin, maybe I'll add you to the list. I'd love to. I'm definitely love to. Know. Oh. Um, so I did What's, do that for, you know, cause I wanted to make sure that I wasn't, I didn't want to spend all this time if no one would use it. What was the, what's the pricing on it? Or do you just, I mean, or the just, I mean, maybe if you haven't nailed it down, what's the ballpark? I haven't. It's, it's definitely the goal. I, I started this entire idea and I said, what can I charge more for? What can I charge? I don't want another nine, 19, 29, 59. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't right. want to have dollar plans. So minimum will be, you know, probably around 50 bucks, maybe a hundred. That'll be mm-hmm. small and for it. Okay. Well, just pull me off that list then. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. Because <laughs> be that would, I mean, if, if it works, then it'll pay for itself. That's the thing. If it doesn't pay for itself, we, we should cancel you. Like, we should be in touch and say, stop doing this. I mean, and that may be something we do. Like, I want people to only use it if it is absolutely paying them back more than they're spending. And I have specific numbers on how our campaigns have fared with, with .NET Invoice, with Prentice Lyman Jobs, with Hittail, with Micropreneur Academy, with Microcomp, you know, all those things. And we have a multiple X, 5X to 10X return on what I'm planning on charging based on the number of unique, you know, based on all, how all the numbers hopefully will play out. So that's, that's the, a big selling point of it, right? Is that it should pay for itself like good advertising would or retargeting or any of these things. There's a, there's a value proposition. It saves you money or, or makes you money or you shouldn't use it, you know? So are you going to build us an ASP classic like uh, Hittail? <laughs> Just to keep things consistent? Pearl and uh, ASP classic. <laughs> No, uh, Ruby on Rails. Cool. Yeah, because you, your product manager is a, a Rails guy, right? And I, he is. And that's actually, um, I wanted to build it in Ruby, but I don't know Ruby. And so 
you know, knowing that he, or once I hired him and things started working out, I was like back of my mind, like, huh, this could be very interesting because he was only working half time on his tail and, and doing fine with it. So he has extra hours and I'm going to have, I'm going to teach myself Ruby as he's building it and just learn right. it. I'm probably not going to code much on it, but I want to know enough to, uh, to be dangerous, so to speak. Well, I mean, and if he's a rails guy, he'll be much more interested in doing something, a rails project anyway. So, right. Yep. I mean, That's right. Fired up. So let's hear a little bit about this guy because, I mean, it sounds like he's doing all the hard work and you're like chilling on the beach, you know, hanging out with your kids. <laughs> if I get 10 grand from Jason, maybe I'll just use it to pay his salary and just kind of kick it. Send myself that's, to people. Oh. That's what I'm saying. Think about it. Uh, okay. So let's hear yeah. about this guy. So the my project manager, product manager, I'm sorry, is um, it's a guy I've known for about 18 months and I hiring someone just from Odesk or something to do this, right? Because this is high-level work. This is not task work anymore. I have a lot of task people that are very good at task stuff, VAs, even developers, designers. But to find someone who's one level above that and who can do project stuff where you just say, go, here's a one-line thing that's fairly complicated, go figure it out, and he comes back with good results, it's a lot harder to find. And so I had been, um, well, essentially in a mastermind group with this, with this guy and another guy here locally in Fresno. And over the course of, of the year, he was, he had an app that he was working on and, um, he decided, you know, I don't think it's going to work. It was actually based on Twitter, it was heavily tied into Twitter. And when they started doing API stuff, kind of threw up his hands and said, I don't know that I want to spend another six months and potentially get shut down. So he was going to start doing consulting work. And at that point I was like, you know, there's enough room in Hittail now. This is kind of when it started growing and that, and I think the AppSumo stuff had just come through and I was like, there's enough room to, to bring you on part-time just to see. And we, I did, we did a 30-day trial. I said, you may not like working for me. You may not you know, work out on Hittail, but let's just see. And right away, I was giving him all the tier two email support. Tier one is, is handled by a VA. And um, all the tier two email support. And then I just you know, progressively started giving him more and more complicated tasks that are like, go figure out how to advertise on this site. Create the banners, write the headlines, just send them to me, I'll give them a once over. And I don't even view it as like, I'm the approver. I more look at it as like, I'm gonna offer some suggestions and you can take them or not. You know, because- So you're not gonna be, you're not gonna be the decider? No, the only time I'm the decider, I am on a few things, right? I mean, it, someone has to be um, when there's a tie or when there's a, just kind of, we don't know what to do. I just have, someone has to make a call, but I, you know, if someone's, it's like, I'm the opposite of a micromanager, potentially to a fault. And that's why I need really good people because I don't like babysitting, you know? And so if you don't be babysat, which this guy hates to be babysat, it's like, it's perfect. So it's worked out really well. And as soon as I came up with drip, I was bouncing around like, how, how am I, am I going to build this? Am I going to hire someone? And then the realization of like, oh, someone who could know two, both apps uh, could be, you know, potentially really a bit. But given his background, it's also great for him because he it's like an apprenticeship. Like he's learning exactly. how to be a business marketer. So now he'll be able to go away at some point and build his own product. I told him right up front too. I said, look, I can't pay you what you could make. Like you're, you're good enough. You could go to the Bay Area and make a lot of money. Or even here, you could make a decent amount of money. And I can't pay you that. Um, and plus, I'm hiring him as a contractor. You know, it's, it, it, there's a lot of things that are not, you know, maybe the ideal situation that you might think of. But... I said, I will tell you everything. Like, I won't hold back. And I, he has access to all, everything I have. I mean, he has access to the Stripe account, to the dashboard. He sees the lifetime value. He sees it change daily. He know, I, 
when I put up new ads, I send them to him and I say, these are the new ads I put up. Just a heads up, I'll let you know how they turned out because I'm essentially trying to train him, right? Or, and he's trying to be trained because he does want to do his own apps eventually. And that's the other understanding is I said, I don't expect you to work for me for life. You know, oh, it would be great, but you certainly have the, the leeway to, uh, to move on to your, you know, your app when you want to. And also- you, could almost, you could almost make this a reality show. It's like The Apprentice, you yeah. know, like, except you don't fire anybody. It's <laughs> boring. We made three hundred dollars more this month. Yay! The Rob, the Rob Prentice, right? And it's no drama, right? Because we don't. (laughs) Okay. um, Now, the the, uh, the thing that I was thinking is kind of interesting about this is how you found this guy. So he won some hack, a couple hackathons that you were what judging or hosting or something in Fresno. Is that right? Yep. There's a, there's a code competition called 59 Days of Code here in Fresno. And uh, it's an awesome team that puts that on. There's a, a local woman here named Irma who just nails it, heads it up and makes it a really, uh, just a cool, it's like the premier event for, for building apps and kind of any type of bootstrapping startups um, here in Central Valley. And I judge that, I think, I'm trying to think of, I think I've judged it three years in a row, which is, it's only been around for three years. And he won the second and third years. And that's when I connected, we connected with him and said, you know, we really, I, I, you know, it was after the first year actually. Um, and I was already meeting one-on-one here with a guy in Fresno and I said, we might want to bring this, this other guy in. He seems to know what he's doing and he could potentially, you know, contribute to us and we could help him be accountable and get his app off the ground. Cause that's one thing, a lot of these startup competitions and 59 days of code is no, no different a lot of apps come out of it, but they never do anything. Like they just kind of fall away and the developers don't keep working on them. And that's disappointing to me because when mm-hmm. you spend time to judge and get into it and you really do pick who you think is going to win and then you just, you never hear from them again, that sucks. So it sucks for them mostly, you know, it's like, ah, I really wanted you to, to do that. I think you could live off that and, and potentially have a business. Um, so that was the goal. And so we just invited him to a meeting and said, let's kind of test it out. And he quickly, you know, fit into the, the whole deal. So, and once you- for a while, it's like becomes a no-brainer, right? It's like being friends before you date, you know, because yeah. you already know the ins and outs of who they are and how they work. Now, nothing that's interesting about the story is that he had done what one or two bootstrap startups. Yeah. Like you said, that it was one that was based on Twitter or something, and then, but he reached kind of a burnout point. Like he just it didn't work, and he was frustrated and kind of ran out of money. And that seems like the perfect kind of person to hire what you're doing because anyone who's doing a trying to bootstrap their own startup is going to bring going to be bringing more to the table than just being able to write code assuming that they're also a coder and if they're kind of the point where they kind of they're kind of out of breath they're like ah you know i need a break which always happens you know you do startups and things don't pan out you're like okay i just need to make some cash and and just um kind of regroup and if if you're able to find someone like that and hire them for the short term you kind of give them a you know what's they call like a a a port in a storm you know you give them a a safe harbor or something and they can relax but learn some things i mean that would be like the perfect person to hire for this i agree that's actually a really good way to think about it is that he's not so you know you become a little jaded after launching one or two and having Mm -hmm. work so you're not so hot to trot to get out and launch a third uh right away especially a ton of stuff from someone who who's done it and who is going to you know be doing a, another successful one here that you can kind of watch grow. Yeah, it's nice that um, it's almost an advantage that if you can find someone who is uh, has been both a startup founder but has recently had a failure or two because they're not so 
hot to trot to get another idea out right away, right? If you have an aspiring startup founder and they've never done one, then they're, who knows how long they're going to stick around. They may have the skills that you want, but they, you know, could potentially want to launch very soon. But if you can give someone an opportunity to really learn from you and to watch what will hopefully be a successful venture um, grow and you're uh, willing to teach them, it's it's really nice to get someone who has that founder skill set because you get someone who can write copy, who can code, who can design, who can slice from PSD to HTML, who can do JavaScript, who can do jQuery, who can query the database when things you know update the database. I mean, it's it's the all the skill sets that we have that very few people have. There should literally be a website called like failedfounderslookingforapprenticeship.com. Yeah. That would be an, an, I mean, that would an amazing, be amazing labor force, right? Uh, of people who can, that's who I want as my product manager. I don't want someone from, you know, whatever, IBM or, or Facebook or something like that who is who is who can write a schedule and who can manage people because we don't have people. You know, we have like one VA and a couple designers, but it's like if someone can actually do the same stuff that you can and maybe do some of it better, that's a real find. And I think that's a unique skill set that you'll only find in probably potential startup founders. Cause I don't know who else would branch all over the place like that into, into all those different disciplines or would want to. Yeah. What would be the point, right? If you're a professional designer, you can get the highest uh, rate. If you're a phenomenal designer, you don't need to know anything else. And so that's not what you're going to optimize for. Whereas you when you're a founder, when you're a founder and you have to get it done, I mean, that's, that's why you wind up in do, you know, going down all those, uh, all those paths at once. Yeah, it's 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 like a it's like there it's the one man wrecking crew or army of one I um sort of uh, pitch. You know, you want yep. you want people who don't like doing just one thing. You know, they don't want yeah. to write database queries all day or they don't want to just write code or or just do sales stuff. They they can, they kind of can and want to do all of it and maybe ultimately want to launch their own company, but they're not quite in the position they don't have the capital or quite have the knowledge set or the risk profile to do it. And if you had a had a site where it was listed sort of like the, you know, I don't know, Army of One or One Man Wrecking Crews or or whatever, you know, guy, you know, not guys could be women too, but just people who have all the skills sets and the generalists who who want to do that I, that that would be kind of those would be that would be useful not only for them because i think a lot of people probably like that who would love a position where they like the one that you sort of created for this uh for this product manager but also for people who have an idea and have some capital right and a startup founder can be who who's working for you can be such an asset to an early stage startup. Now they may not be, you know, as much of an asset when you get to 20, 30, 40 employees, if you plan to go there, because you don't want jacks of all trades. You want masters of, of a single trade at that point, because you have the luxury of being able to, to really focus down on, on that kind of thing. Right. Exactly. Interesting. So um, do you think he'll be able to manage both uh, pro- projects or products. Well, I mean, do you think I have enough time to do both? I don't know. He he's going to continue to manage Hittail, but I'm essentially the product manager slash CEO slash whatever of of Drip. He's just the developer, and I don't mean just pejoratively. I mean that's his only responsibility at this point. I'm handling okay. the marketing and all the other stuff, you know, and I'm I'm outsourcing the design. Even though he could do it, he doesn't have enough hours, and I can't pull that away from from Hittail or from Drip development. So I'm hiring a designer, I'll be writing copy or hiring copywriters, that kind of stuff. So he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to spread himself that thin because that obviously would be a concern. 40 hours is not enough time to, to try to build a new product from scratch and manage an old one like, like we have. Right. 
Right. Hey, uh, one thing I we forgot to do last couple shows is we forgot to do our spot for our, our one advertiser. Sweet. Let's, yeah. Let's, yeah. We do it real quick. Yeah. So you remember you remember call these guys callthesguys.com. Yeah. Call these guys. So Ravi, um, who's the uh, I guess the CEO or founder of a, they're a web development shop. They do um, design and development, and they do stuff for small companies and government. They have like a lot of local government projects or whatever. So they're great if you need something small to medium done. You know, you know how like when people come to you and they say, hey, you know, I need to get the site built. Do you think you'd do it for me? Or do you know someone could do it? And you're like, yeah, I don't have time and I don't know. Right. So what do you do? <laughs> you call, call these guys. guys. <laughs> call these guys.com. It's actually dhali.com, but no one's going to remember that. But, you know, if you go you call these guys. That's it. And uh, yeah, they're great. They're in Orange County here, and you can call them. They have, you can look on the site. They have a phone number. They say call them anytime. You know, it's not like you just send an email and you get a response back in two or three days later, or it's someone who's working on the side part time and you know, they're busy with other stuff. I mean, it's a full time consulting um, you know, company. And uh, if you live in the area, Southern California, you can just walk in and they have an office. He said, just stop by anytime. So that's a great ad, Jason. You're becoming very professional at that. You're like one of the, you know, they used to do ads like that in the fifties. Like that's, that was the only advertising there was. Oh, was it really? Yeah. Right. You, I did. Oh, on the, yeah, they, the, the, the host would, uh, yeah. Talk through the ad. Yeah. Well, I met Robbie. He's a cool guy. And, uh, I mean, you know, he, he and his designer, um, actually drove up from Orange County to Pasadena and we had lunch and cause I wanted to meet him and, uh, and, uh, get a sense of who, who, who are we actually advertising? And, um, it was really cool have a chance to be a really nice guy and they seem to you know, know their stuff and uh you know they're yeah looking to grow so uh yeah if you need something done or you know someone needs something done whether it's small or a large project just uh call these guys.com and uh your 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 then your part is done. You don't have more pressure on you. But you you hand it off somebody can deal with it. That goes for you too, Rob. I mean I know that you work with a lot of people but just in case you want to try someone new, call these guys.com. Absolutely. Yeah, I like the idea of because I do get just like you guys get asked to build websites for people, and it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't do that anymore. So this is my new go-to: calltheseguys.com. <laughs> so that's my testimonial. <laughs> nice, I like it. Good stuff. So there's another um, another thing I wanted to follow up on, and I got a Brennan Dunn, who uh, he's the founder of of PlanScope, um, PlanScope.io. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about him on the last show. Justin brought it up, and he had a, a blog post called How I'm Making Five Figures a Month Off Bootstrap's Products. And he's something he's making a few grand a month off PlanScope, which is like a project management app. And he also wrote a book, like a kind of info, like an ebook. And he also teaches a course. Now, you guys interviewed him, right? That's right. He was on our show a couple, couple episodes ago. And I think he went through what? The Micropreneur Academy and. Um, Amy Hoy's, what is it, 30 by 500? 30 by 500. Yep. Or he's, done, he's done both, yep. Right, so I, I just, a couple things about it. I, I, I mean, what do you think about the effort that it goes into doing the combination of, of things, you know, writing a book, you know, and versus just focusing on your product? I mean, do you think that's really a good use of time? Well, the interesting thing about a book is that it is a one-time investment and that once you're done, you're pretty much done. You may want to update it later, but it's nothing like launching and supporting a product. The only thing that needs to be done then is is really to market it. And there are some decent avenues, including podcasts and Hacker News and potentially AppSumo. And there, there's a lot of avenues for info products. So I think if you're 
built to where you you are a good writer or a good speaker or good on video, any of these mediums. It doesn't have to be an ebook. Um, I think that info products are an interesting interesting approach. To be honest, I had never thought about that in advance. Like Brennan went out and did it intentionally. Amy Hoy has done it intentionally. Brennan did it, you know, kind of following her model and and I assuming what what I do. I kind of stumbled into the things of like, oh, I'm getting a lot of questions. I should start writing them out. Oh, this is too long for a blog post. I guess I should do a book. You know, it was like one step to the next, but I now see it as a an actual viable strategy if you are you know, if you have something interesting and helpful to say that's actually actionable for people and you are a good communicator, I don't see why why you wouldn't do that. Well, I would imagine, Rob, you would be able to make a video. You would be able to convert your book into a video with um, extra ancillary content and charge something like $197 and sell right. that to a thousand people pretty easily. Yes, it's called the Micropreneur Academy. <laughs> it, um, I mean, that's essentially the, the Academy is an expansion of the book, right? It's screencasts, it's audio versions of everything, it's worksheets, and then it's about, I think the book is actually about 10% of what's in the Academy. There's like another nine times um, of, of stuff of there because there's just so many more topics to cover. So that's what I've done. That's the premium version of it. I guess there could be an in-between, you're right, but what we've done is, is the academy. What we like about doing it the academy way is we have the, the forums, which allow people to, to form some type of community. And so that's you know, one of the reasons MicroConf has, has flown, has, has done a decent job, is that people are in the forums and then it's like, oh, we want, I want to meet up with you, you know? There's actually a community base rather than when you just sell a $200 product to a bunch of people, no one really knows each other, mm. you know? So that's one benefit. Now yeah, forums are also... A lot of work to keep up. I mean, there's maintenance with that. That's why we we do charge. You know, it's a there's a monthly fee to a certain point. How many different little things do you think you have going on at this point? Like the, the, all the different revenue streams you have. I was actually looking at this because I'm having a designer put just put up a, a new landing page at my umbrella LLC that I have, Numa Group, and I broke them down into two areas. One was I forget what I call it, like software products, and they're all the websites I have. And then the other one was stuff to help your startup. And those are my two buckets. And as I started listing it, the list got very long and I just wound up cutting a bunch. Like I'm not even going to list several of the ones because they aren't that important, you know? Um, but in terms of, of things that I do, did you only want revenue streams? Because there, I have things that don't generate revenue, like the blog, the newsletter, all that yeah, kind of all the, all the different, all the different things that you need to think about. Yeah, there's, um, there's probably 20 at this point including ones that don't generate revenue, but I don't, I don't manage all of them day to day. You know, I mean, you, you know, my thing, I have people either who either help out with them or like the blog, I have backed away from it. And it's not just because lack of time. It's actually because I found that other things like the podcast and like the email newsletter are just better avenues. And I'd rather spend more time on them. I'm, it's not that I'm never going to blog again. I'm just probably never going to blog as much as I used to. Interesting that you think the podcast is better revenue than the blog. It is. It doesn't get nearly the the audience, doesn't hit nearly the audience, but the engagement is five times, at least five times deeper. People just care so much more about what you're doing. I don't know. In fact, my blog, what, 22,000 RSS subscribers, I don't think MicroConf would have, I don't think, I think we would have had to shut MicroConf down if all we had was the blog. I think the podcast is what I really do think that the podcast and, and probably the book sales is what um, brought enough people that very first year. Now MicroConf is its own entity, but the first year trying to launch it, the podcast was just is critical to that that effort. 
You know, what's interesting about the podcast, there's a couple things that um, about which I think I'd like to bring up. One is, you know, we've had people contact us about the wanting to start their own podcast um, because they kind of want, just for the same reason people start a blog and that they want to bring, they want to build some name recognition and build an audience. So when they launch something, they'll have that in place. But it's from, from our perspective, I mean, it is way, way more work to do a podcast to get anything close to the kind of attention that you can get from, you know, writing some, you know, decent blog posts for three to six months. Um, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, right. I mean, it's like to, to get, a thousand or two thousand listeners is—I mean, it's—it's—it's it's, it's just really difficult. It's no small effort. Yeah, podcasts just don't have the same uh, what audience, worldwide audience that blogs do. You know, there's so many more people reading blogs, so it takes a heck of a lot longer to build that a podcast audience. I do think it's more effort, but I actually enjoy it. So I personally just enjoy it way more, and I think that's a big part of it. And getting on the podcast every week with Mike is one of the highlights of my week every week. Because I, I look forward to getting on, just like you and I are chatting right now, right? It's like, it's actually fun. Blog posts sometimes are fun, but for the most part, they feel like hard work. Yes, they do. Yeah. And they it's do. not a bad thing. And it's not that I, I mean, I've, I've been blogging since 2005. So it's cer- you know, certainly not scared of the hard work. But the amount of effort, four to six to eight hours to put together a really good post, pales in comparison to the one hour, maybe 90 minutes that Mike and I put into, into a podcast episode and how much more fun that episode is to, to create. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I mean, I, you know, the, the only thing that's really hard about the podcast is sometimes for, at least for the way we do our podcasters are so long and we talk about so many topics that, you know, you have to find stuff to talk about. And so, at least for me, I just doesn't do this so much, but I have to do a lot of reading to make sure I got stuff to bring up. But then it's worse. It takes time to make the notes and stuff. So it does, it's not like we just can talk for an hour and a half. So there's like, you know, at least that much time in preparation, a few hours. Uh, let's say I don't want to overstate it. Maybe there's a couple hours during the week of, of additional preparation of just writing down notes, you know, and then there's the whole writing the notes of the show notes themselves, which takes a little time. Right. So yeah. it's like a five hour week thing, I think. It's a non-trivial amount of work for sure. I, um, I, I agree with you. If someone were to contact and say, Hey, I want to build a brand real quick. I would not say start a podcast. <laughs> yeah, <that's not> there. <laughs> yeah. Long-term play. Right. But you know what? Uh, the, the, the other thing about the podcast though is, and, and this is something that you, you mentioned was the, is the engagement is much higher, but I mean, for us, at least because we talk, we're so personal about the things we talk about. I mean, when we meet listeners. A lot of times, a company will be like, "I feel like I know you better. I know a lot of my friends." Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, true. "You probably do." I mean, I've talked about everything. You know, I mean, we talk about health issues and fi- personal finances to everything. You know, in addition to all the startup and tech stuff. So it's really cool to meet people in person because. You know, you know, even though you don't know that much about them yet. I mean, obviously, you sit down and talk to them, and you 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 know, find out about them, but um, or you get to know them. But they they know all the stuff about you. You know, they know all this stuff about you. So it immediately creates kind of a bond. Sure. And if they've sat and listened to you for hundreds of hours, you know that you probably have something in common. You have enough in common that they've listened to you. <laughs> so right, sitting down yeah. for lunch with them is not scary because it's like. It's not like this person is, you know, a monk somewhere or whatever that, who just doesn't, doesn't care about what I'm doing. They actually probably have interest in either software or startups or X, Y, and Z. So I know we're going to find some, something cool to talk about. 
Yeah, and we we get help from uh, our listeners all the time. I mean, for instance, just more, most recently, John Humphrey, w- one of our listeners, he's an expert in uh, the you know in, in domain names, and he uh, he got anyfoo any f o o dot com for us. Oh, that's cool. He just gave it to us. He said, "Hey, oh. Merry, you know, Merry Christmas." Yep. And uh, I just, which you know, it's incredibly generous, friendly thing to do. And I just actually called him up because it's the domain for another project that I'm um, working on. And uh, I had asked his advice, and he was, you know, very willing to kind of help me out. And but you know, when that happens to us all the time, you know, I mean, I, I assume it's probably the same for you guys. I mean, it's it's yep. really cool. It is, it is, and that's something I very rarely, again, with probably t- you know, I don't know, somewhere five to ten times the audience of people reading my blog than probably listen to the podcast. I don't know that I, I maybe got one email like that in like five years, you from, know, from where the blog, it, right. Yeah. The blog. Yeah. Whereas the podcast we do, we definitely every month or two, we'll get someone offering to do something cool for us, which, which we don't always take them up on, but it's at least it's appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. There's more of a bond there for sure. So it's just actually, aside from the podcast, you know, we're talking about how much work um, blogging is. Mm-hmm. It is. I agree. Everything. I, every time I've written a, every time I sat down to write a blog post with the intention of it being like a thing, like being an article that might hit the front page of Hacker News or whatever, um, as opposed to like, hey, here are my thoughts in the latest, you know, Apple Airbook or something, you know, um, it. Uh, you know, it's exhausting and it really takes time away from either your family or from work you should be doing <laughs> and, or, or, or relaxation time. So it's, 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 it needs to count for something. But I was thinking, what about the idea of hiring a ghostwriter and you providing like detailed notes or, or just recording yourself describing everything and then just say, here, write this and then I'll kind of do a final edit? It could work. I definitely, I've never done it. Um, I've considered doing something like that for like an info product or for a book, but I have, uh, there's something with, with my blog, I think with our blogs, with our podcasts and with info products I've put out today, there is a personal touch that we lend to them that would be difficult. I would have to really trust the person who it would almost have to be a listener or it'd have to be like someone who's read my blog. I, I don't know of any writer I've ever hired, and I've hired a lot of writers to do a lot of things, who I would feel comfortable doing what you've just described. How about, because how about if it was for like Hittail, and it was a Hittail blog, and basically they, they were writing stuff that was very, uh, I don't know, of, of the moment, of, of the moment. No, not necessarily non, non-personal, but just stuff that was, I guess, for want of a better word, link bait. <laughs> just stuff that was going to get attention. Um, what, what do you think of a strategy like that? I see a big difference between a, a personal brand blog and like you guys have a personal brand podcast versus a business blog and a business podcast, right? right. Where, where like Hittail's blog is going to be about SEO and Hittail stuff. That I have absolutely outsourced and I do outsource. I have a writer who's putting out, you know, a few posts uh, a month right now on it. Whereas the Software by Rob thing, aside from guest posts, I write everything because it's just, it's it's you, right? It's more about, you and communicating who you are just like the podcast you know you you bring guests on but you wouldn't have someone come and guest host probably unless you knew them and they were you know your uh well kind of, yeah my, th- my thought Andrew was Warner came and guest hosted <laughs> <laughs> that was funny yeah. yeah yeah it was a it was a mixergy takeover it was, was a hostile cool. takeover yeah. um yeah well my thought was yeah not not for like on a personal blog but for a product blog i mean oh, yeah, it, totally. you know it's like 
it's like you know because you know how powerful it is to have a series or how effective it is to have a series of really you know viral posts or posts that really get a lot of attention and i feel like i come up with these ideas pretty easily i was writing them down the other day and it's like wow i could you know i have a lot of ideas that i think if i could invest the time would be would have a good shot at making the front page of hacker news or close and it's like but i'm not going to spend eight hours you know four to six hours a day two to three days a week doing this i mean that's just brutal and it would just kill it would it would kill me um but it would just kill my you know consulting and everything else but if if you had those, and, and you didn't put it under your name, you just wrote like you know whatever the team or the you know made it so that it was clear that it wasn't just you. I mean, I, I would never want to sort of mislead people and think I you know that I wrote something that I didn't. But well, there, there uh, I mean, Kissmetrics does that. They if you go to blog.kissmetrics.com, they have one of the best content marketing blogs on the you know online, and they it's all writers who they hire, and they're not cheap. They do exactly what you do. They write awesome link bait. Um, and I know some people who've hired some of their writers who've also hired other writers, whether on Odesk or, or Elance. And to do a post like you're talking about that really kicks ass, you're gonna you're looking at between three hundred and about six hundred bucks. I mean, you can go wow. up to a thousand for sure. But yeah, no, three hundred, six hundred bucks a pop for really good stuff like that. Now you can get just some ongoing, I won't say filler, but it's like good content, but it's not gonna, you know, be link bait. And that kind of stuff you can get reasonably for, you know, fifty to hundred bucks a pop that are maybe like 400 to 600 words and that are just, you, do, you hit tail is great for cranking out topics for that. That's actually what, what we do with the hit tail blog. It's just pull but topics. How, how, how would you know you were going to get $300 to $600 value worth from a writer? Like, how would you know? How would you choose the writer? Um, going based, you look at what else they've written. You go and say, oh, they've written on Kissmetrics. I like that article right in that style. You don't know that you're going to get the value out of it because what's the value the value is you need X trials to pay for that post. That's how I look at it, right? You should know how much a trial uh, is worth to you. And so I if mean, a trial is worth X dollars, you need a certain amount of... I mean, how would you even know that they were a writer? I mean, okay, so now we, we have the one example on the, the Kissmetrics blog, but right? is, is there a, a way to get them through Odesk or something? Or? Well, there's a, there's a site called Scripted. We just hire writers. You scripted, Elance, Odesk, any of these things. You can post a job and get applicants, or you can go seek them out. Or you can go to Google and type in, you know, blogger who writes link bait. Or you can go to, what is it, problogger.net has a job board for bloggers, like people who blog. You can look at all these places and just go down all the paths and it's all about what have you done in the past. Because anything they, if they're good, they've done stuff in public, right? They don't just have Word docs to send you. They're going to send you a list of links. And if they can't do that, they're an instant no hire. So that's how, that's how you'd vet them. And then you'd You'd look, I mean, you're assuming that they're going to write a, a comparable quality to what they've written before. That's how you know that you'll get the, the value from there. Yeah. Ooh. And how's that, and that's paid off? That's been an effective strategy for Hittail? Uh, no, I have not done content marketing. Um, oh, oh, no, I should say, I haven't done the link bait content marketing like we're talking about. I've done the little, kind of longer tail SEO blogging, and that, yeah, that's definitely working for us. What does that mean, long tail SEO Just, blogging? It, just means blogging for like having good blog posts that are not going to get a, you know, a thousand hits in a day, but they go after long tail keywords such as those that Hittail suggests and they just drive traffic like a snowball over time. Right. But if you, if you, if you hit like these, you know, front page of Hacker News, in fact, especially if it's like a top 10 of Hacker News, you get 10, 20,000 hits. I mean, that's a big deal. I and mean, that could make a big difference, right? Generally. It is. It is, but only if they convert. And like mm -hmm. I said, you know, Hacker News traffic didn't convert that well with Hittail. Um, so 
it would be a big deal, but not like a, oh my gosh, this month is going to be epic. You know, it right. would be like, oh, that was cool. That happened. So that's where the, if you're going to do like with Hittail, if I was going to do link bait, I would have to try, I would want them to get linked from like, like um, at the SEO Moz blog or from search engine journal, you know, there's the niche things that, that would add. So you need to pick those. your market. Yeah, totally. And then well, them. well, one thing along these lines I'd like to bring up was the, the whole um, buffer versus plugio thing. So plug buffer is sort of a, it's like a slice of plugio. You know, they do what, maybe a third of what Plugio does. It's just scheduling your tweets, essentially. And, just the drip feed, yeah. Yeah, and they came out much later than Plugio, and now they're everywhere. And mostly it's from their blogging, right? Is, I mean, is that it? Do we I'm know wondering. That? I don't know that for sure, but I've just, I, see, I see their blog posts. I guess one of the bloggers is, you know, one of the founders, maybe the tech guy is Joel.is, Joel is or something. And I see that on Hacker News at least once or twice a week, it seems like. Right. Hit the front page. Justin, do you know, I mean, as a competitor, do you know what, how, how they've marketed it? If the content marketing has driven their growth? I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it has. I'm pretty sure that content marketing is one of the very big pieces, but then they, the, the other pieces, um, integrations that they've done mm. and that they're integrated with lots of other sites. But then another piece is because they're hooked up on AngelList and they're hooked up with a lot of very high profile um, investors. So they're getting a lot of help. Mm -hmm. And so, they, they were in an accelerator as well, right? They're an accelerator, but then they've also just take. It's much easier to understand Buffer than it is to understand something like Plugio. It's such a simple concept. Mm -hmm. So what's funny is that we were like Jason and I were kind of saying, "What was their secret to success?" And you listed four things, and I think that's really the lesson: is that there is never one secret to success, right? It's like they did four things really well, and that all that takes a lot of time to do. It's not. So they came up with a simple product idea, so it was simpler than Plugio. So Justin was trying to solve all of his major problems with one tool. And he said, you know, look, this, and, and he was thinking of trying to, you know, that was initially. And then he was like, well, I got to compete with Hootsuite or these, you know, other big products I have lots of developers. So I got to, you know, I got to get some gravity on this product. It's got to do some stuff. It can't just be just a feature where they just said one feature. So that's a whole other strategy um, that seemed to have worked. I mean, I don't know if that was the reason but or not. There's but. something else. I mean, it, when they've spoken to their customers, like, Obviously, they've gone very, very slowly with implementing what their customers wanted compared to uh, Plugio, where I just implemented pretty much everything that customers asked for. So once again, that made the product very, very wide, but not uh, like where what they've done is they've they've created toolbars, they've created mo they've integrated with mobile. So all the time that I spent building out all the different features, they spent integrating to all the different platforms, um, creating browser plugins all that other stuff, but just on this one small concept. Right. I think that's a much more effective strategy. And all that's essentially a form of marketing. It's all a form of marketing. Yep. So, so, it's, so, so, so they went horizontal and very sh shallow, but very horizontal in terms of platforms. And right. I went very deep, but just on one web platform. Right. And didn't have all that, the marketing things that they did in terms of the integrations. Mm -hmm. I, there's low hanging fruit in every market. And I've received many suggestions in terms of even like Hittail as an example, someone said, well, you should translate this into a bunch of languages and go after Western Europe. Uh, you should add a bunch of features to integrate with AdWords so you could do paid, you know, da, 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 da. And I always come back to what is the core value of Hittail and have I maxed out that market yet? Have I found every person who can use Hittail and they've tried it? And the answer to that is continues to be a resounding no. And until I hit that point, I'm going to keep pushing and pushing on these marketing things um, until, you know, it gets to the point where we either have 
so much money that we kind of need to expand, you know, and, and add a bunch of features because we have the, the leeway to do it or until um, we do kind of max out that market. And you do see businesses max it out, like HubSpot maxed out their first market and then they moved to another one. Um, they expanded and Fogbugs, I think, has done the same. But I do think for early stage startups like us, there you have a long, long way to go until you get to the point where where you do need to go deep with with features. Right, right. That's interesting. Oh, by the way, for any of our listeners who think I'm putting Justin on the spot, I asked Justin if it was okay we discussed this offline. <laughs> right, Justin? Yeah, that's, no, that's, that's cool. Yeah, yeah I, I just didn't want anyone to think I was like, you know, trying to be mean, picking Am- on a sore spot. Ambushing or him. <laughs> yeah, so hey, this other startup's kicking your butt, you know. But no, but they just, you know, they have, they, you know, they have, I guess, funding and they've been an accelerator and, you know, you're just bootstrapped one guy and everything. Yeah, but, but it's just interesting to see. I, mean, just, I was thinking particularly, I mean, I mean, obviously, I think their name is really good because it very clearly describes what it is. It's a very simple concept that probably helps, you know, things like that. I, I don't know if the accelerator makes a big difference or the investors. I'm not sure how much that really helps or not. I mean, I, I, I mean, you know, that's up for well, debate. I can tell but, you one difference it makes is that you don't have to earn a living or that you can live off the money that you've been given from the investors. So you can spend all your time marketing. Yeah. Well, that, well, that's what, you know, I mean, I'm not talking about the money doesn't make a difference, but having high profile investors or, you know, I'm not sure like just, you know, for like a, a consumer app, I mean, how much pull do these people have with the world of people who use Buffer? I think you get intros like they were on um, Jason Calcanis show. What is it? This Week in Startups a month mm. or two ago. Not I that see. that is like, wow, that's why they grew, but it's things like that where you just say, hey, X is an investor and then at least yeah. people listen to you. Well, yeah. also because he, for, here's an example. Hit and Shah is an investor and as a result, um, there is an add to Buffer button on every blog post on Kissmetrics blog. Oh, nice. Right. So, and you, you know how many people go to the Kiss Metrics blog? I mean, you know, a crap load of people, right? So, that add to buffer button, you know, is, is absolute marketing. Interesting. Yeah. But I, I was particularly impressed with their, with their, um, their sort of blogging campaign because a lot of stuff they write is really interesting, but they don't really talk about buffer. But that's, that's a good thing. You know, that's how Kiss Metrics does it as well. They talk about stuff that as a user of Kissmetrics, you should be interested in. You know, yeah. and then they have just a tiny little link at the bottom. And that's content marketing. I mean, that's how you do it. That's the same thing with the infographics we see. Those drive a lot of traffic, but you don't do an infographic about your app typically, right? You do it about something surrounding your app that people would be interested in. Well, it seems like a lot of people, when they first start out, a lot of these entrepreneurs, they, they say, well, this is how we did this. And they really focus on their product. And it's like, you could do that once or twice, but the people get a little, it becomes a little self-serving, a little boring. Well, yeah, yeah, and it was that was really cool and exciting in when no one was doing it in like 2004, and that was what Joel Spolsky did. Eric Sink talked about Source Gear. Like there were there were these or entrepreneurs early, and the 37 Signals did right, and that was like wow, it's so cool to see the goings on of this this software company. Peldi did it, but as we get on, like if there was another Peldi right now, it would be wow, that's a cool success story, but it wouldn't blow your mind like it did the first time. It's, right. There's just a lot more information available today about about bootstrapping and, and all the stuff that we do. Right, right. It's true. Well, I think uh, we should probably wrap this thing up, right? This is, uh, we've been going for a while, haven't we? Been pretty good. Um, do you have any more questions, Justin? I don't, I think I'm out of, oh, you know, actually I do. I have one more topic. I always feel like I have one more thing. That should be the name. <laughs> well, the I have a lifetime of questions for Rob. I mean, I, I'd like to just uh, have him, <laughs> you know, always available to answer my questions, but I think we're going to have to wrap the show up at some point. When yeah, I get down to Pasadena next time, maybe you'll, you'll be in the country and uh, we'll, <laughs> we can hang out. <laughs> That'd be awesome. 
So here, here's my last uh, question for you, which is something we discussed offline about a week ago, and I, I thought would make a, a sort of a funded topic was the idea that the, the blog post that Derek Sivers wrote called "Local." You know, or like it's okay not to be local or something like that. Like versus global, yeah. Yeah, which he's basically saying like, hey, you know, I, I lived in Seattle or I lived in, I don't know, Portland or a couple of places, and he didn't know anybody. Like all he did was work on CD Baby, right? And that's how he was very successful because he just didn't was completely uninvolved in the community. He didn't know a single person. Whereas then he went to other places, like I guess more re- most recently Singapore, and he would meet with people all day every day, and he didn't. And, and everyone on the web or people who he would normally correspond with were emailing him like, hey, what's going on with you? You're not writing anything. You're not building anything. And so his, he ultimately said, I, you know, I think ultimately it's okay not to be local and not get involved in their community because you can just focus on building stuff that are, isn't just going to affect one person that, but can affect you know, tons of people, right? And I have a couple things to say about that, but I want to hear your thoughts on that because you said you've had – um, some thoughts on that being in Fresno and being involved in some of the startup stuff going on there, but then of course they're trying to f- trying to sort of operate more globally and affecting things on the web. Yeah, I've actually done both. Where when I was in New Haven and even a lot in Boston, I was most since I was only there for a year, I was mostly global that during that time, right? So I was just doing the blog and whatever else I was writing the book and, and doing that kind of stuff. And it, it was fine for a while. And I, I remember making the decision in New Haven, Connecticut, cause there aren't a bunch of there's undergrads and then there's like professors and there's this big gap thirties and forties with kids. There aren't very many people in the town. And I remember mentally saying, you know what? I'm not going to have friends this year. And that was a statement. And I was like, and I'm okay with that. Well, I wasn't okay with it. About six, seven months in, it got downright boring and it was lonely. And in the evenings, I've just, you can only watch so much TV or you can only work so much. Realizing that as I low, I'm an introvert. I think I'm on the line, you know, of mm-hmm. I of introvert and extrovert. That I personally, I, I drive and strive towards the global stuff, but that I do need those local people just for the face-to-face, just to have friends who I can talk about it locally. And so when I got to Fresno, still, you know, doing more, I'm now doing more global stuff, including the podcast and microconf and, uh, and other stuff. But I have, I'm probably also doing more local stuff here than I was uh, any time in the past. And that's, I think, out of, out of a personal necessity. And I also think just living in a community like this, if you can make an impact and you can help startups, I'll have lunch with several founders. Uh, well, at one point it was several founders a month. It's slowed down a little bit now, but um, I think if you can help people that, that you should. And so I think there's a balance. Derek did, Derek Severs did say it was uh, made it out to be a dichotomy, right? Of, yeah, I can't, I can't was a- oh, I'm going to go all global now. And I, I don't think that's the case, at least for me. Yeah, I thought it was a perfect example of what's termed the false dichotomy or false dilemma, yeah. right? Which, you know, which makes, makes it, it creates a situation where you're, where you're saying, well, there are t- only two alternatives. There's no in between, which is absolutely false in this case. I mean, I think either extreme is kind of, uh, is not going to be optimal. I mean, if you're, if you're in, in this day and age, you, you can't just, or it's more, it's difficult to be successful if you're only dealing with people like in your neighborhood or community, you know, unless you're just doing some mom and pop type of operation. So you're, you're trying to operate globally because there's a huge world of, or a huge market out there and a huge uh, range of people who might be interested in what you, you're doing or what you have to say. So you want to try and reach, reach those people. But at the same time, you know, if all you're doing is like emailing and writing blog posts and commenting, I mean, that's kind of a weird life. Anything? I mean, you, like you don't, it's like, so what'd you do? Well, I wrote this really cool comment 
And then I email some people, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. what? I mean, it's like, you know, for instance, like Jess and I have the catalyst session tonight, right? We, we, we do these kids. I mean, it's fun, it's in, but it's exhausting a lot of work, but it's like dealing with real people in the real world, yep. you know? I agree. And, and there's, there's a lot of value to that as humans. I mean, we've evolved to, to need that, right? To actually need other people and not just be able to, to be happy no matter how introverted you are. I don't, I don't think you can sit in front of a computer screen for, for six months and bounce back and forth between that and TV, which I've done, and, and be happy, you know? Yeah, it just burns you out, and it just, it's just kind of a weird life. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's important professionally, but from a personal human being standpoint. So it's, 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 it's just sort of surprised me that Derek Sivers would set up a false dichotomy. I mean, he's a smart guy. He knows what a false dichotomy is. I'm sort of, unless he was just doing it to make a point, but he never clarifies that, like, hey, you know, actually, you probably want to find some happy medium, which is going to be a little different for, for every person and depending on what you're trying to achieve. You know, my guess is he will, he will find that over the next six to 12 months that he does want both and that, you know, maybe he already has enough friends that he doesn't need startup friends as well. <laughs> so maybe that'll fill that, fill the void of the personal interaction. Um, but uh, my guess is over six, 12 months, he will kind of figure that out that it's like, yeah, it is a balance and we may see an update to the poster or a future comment from him. Yeah, it was just really funny because I was thinking like, you know, you you don't have to meet with people all day, every day. I mean, that would be exhausting anyway. Yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, you protect your time a little bit. Say, you know, I had to go out to lunch two or three times a week, you know, or whatever. Meet people for coffee. You meet two or three people a week. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, you know what? I've loved, I've loved working in Uber Media. Like, so basically four hours a day back in an office, I've really enjoyed because of the social aspect. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm important. Even for somebody like you, Justin, you're like, I don't like, you're always telling me I don't like people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Even, even, I, even I like people when I think I don't like them. Well, it's that you don't like people. You probably don't like small talk. You probably don't like people who don't, you don't have anything in common with. You probably don't like people. You know, there's like certain traits in people you don't like. But if you really do find people who, who are also doing startups and um, hanging out, I mean, like at MicroConf, I know it's only two days or, or any good conference that you go to you probably like some of the people there, you know, just because. I know, of course. I mean, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Like, I do, I do like people. Oh, because well, I was. Especially you. Because I say that and I'm serious. <laughs> <laughs> and then my wife corrects me. So. I mean, uh, you know, for one thing, though, is that you also, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe this is just me, but I need variety. Like, I can't talk about tech and startups all the time. Like, I get burned out on it as much as I like it. It just burns me out. So it's like, I don't. No, I, I don't. It, it doesn't burn me out. And it's funny, that's the, that's the one thing that I was thinking, Jason. You've, you've said that to me a few times, and I've always been thinking internally, nope. Yeah. <laughs> talk about it all day long. I just, yep. like, I, like, you know, I have my yeah. soccer team, right? I go, sorry. I mean, those guys are doing startups, and they're doing all kind of different things, which are interesting. You know, one guy's an assistant DA, one guy's researching viruses to you know, attack cancer cells, another guy runs a you know, restaurant. I don't know, whatever, right? But it's just like, you don't think about that stuff, you know? And so I can do a couple of things, different things like that, completely outside of it, which I find refreshing, right? You just take a break from it and then you're like, you're, you're, you kind of refreshes your motivation. I think that maybe Rob is similar to me and maybe, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think I can stop thinking about it until I've actually solved the problem because it's the problem of just being successful <laughs> that I want to solve. And when I've solved it, then I'll stop thinking about it. And once you are quote unquote successful, you will say, huh, I'm not as successful as I could be. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious, right? That's what driven people do is they, they're always looking for the next thing. You never quite arrive. And that's both a blessing and a curse. I mean, you can, some people take it to the extreme and are never happy. You can be happy, but still want to strive for that next level. 
And that's what I think is the happy medium. It's not a false dichotomy. It's a happy medium. Yeah. Well, I guess also, Justin, that's part of things of our show is that, like, I bring up all these topics and you're like, well, why are you talking about these things? Why are you interested in all this stuff? Because you're not so much, right? You're interested in focused purely on the, you know, tech in relationship to, you know. No, the I like the future, the future stuff that you bring up. But some of the politics and, uh, you know, some of the other stuff like that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't particularly interest me that much. Yeah. I mean, or we, you know, we talk about things like artificial intelligence or whatever. Oh, I love that. Really? Do you like that? Yeah, of course. You seem like yeah, okay. Well, anyway, I mean, I, it's interesting. I guess maybe it's just a you know personal thing on what you look, you know, how how focused your interests are are not. But um, yeah. Anyway, I think it's like uh, it, it was just an interesting topic, just in regards to like uh, you know, if you live somewhere and engaging with the people around you, and it sounds like you found you sort of figured out a a balance, which is yep. a key, which is a key point, yeah, definitely. Well, all right. Well, I think in terms of balance, we need to find some balance and get get to work. <laughs> Definitely, awesome. Get, get some get something done for the day, other than just talking. But uh, it's been awesome to have you on. It's always fun talking, and it's great hearing about all the success with Hittail and the in upcoming the 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 high probability success of Drip, which can't wait to invest in. I'll just just send me the paperwork. I'm, I'm ready. Of course. <laughs> yeah. No. Thanks for having me on, guys. Seriously, I look forward to coming on texting and just love love kind of BSing around these topics and it always comes out good. I listen back uh, to all the shows and really, you know, really think they, they come out well. So appreciate you guys having me on again. Great. Welcome. It's been a pleasure. All right. That's a wrap. We're out.